0: everybody welcome to universal dialect this is my second show um i have a great guest on today Uh, he goes by nomar slevic um i've known nomar for a while uh so normally you know what i mean i do like this sort of introduction but i'm not gonna do it because like i told you a messenger you cover two of my favorite things which is music and the paranormal so uh jump into the origin of nomar slevic like when did omar slevic you know when was he born yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, no More Slavic was born inside the studios of a ski resort television station, believe it oh, or not. Oh, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I used to work for this company called Resort Sports Network, and uh, they, their call letters or whatever was RSN. And uh, what they do is they, they have television shows and they also buy shows and they would broadcast them out to ski resorts. So there was like a special channel for, you could only get in ski resorts across the country. It was a nationwide thing in my neck of the woods. I'm in Maine, uh, you know, sugarloaf places like that really, you know, that's a famous one in Maine, but, you know, Vale and, you know, a bunch of other places tell you, And it was within there that I actually came up with the name Nomar Slovak because that what, is... What pseudonym. year is
0: this? What year is this?
1: 2000. 2000, okay. Yeah, 2000. Now, I've been <clears throat> into music and producing my own stuff for uh, much longer than that. I think I started in actually writing raps. Might have been 89, 90 I started doing that. Okay. Uh, which I'm dating myself now, but, um, but again, that's just kind of like schoolyard stuff. I mean, you right. know how those rhymes are, <laughs> you understand. know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very basic. <laughs> but um, um, so my, my original like hip hop stage name was Lazy Rhymes. I was always like laid back and chill. Right. <laughs> you know I what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember once, just a funny offshoot. I remember I was posting on a message board. You know how you used to do battle raps like on message boards? Yeah, <laughs> you know, was, like, it
0: was right, it was right out. It, it was exciting at the time, but then when you think in foresight, it's kind of like okay, <laughs> yeah,
1: <It's, laughs> it is ridiculous, you know? But it, it was a way to you know, I guess sharpen some writing skills, which is always good. Yes. And uh, I started posting as L-Rhymes. I just shortened Lazy Rhymes yes. for no other reason. You know, just, it was just a message board name. And everybody started calling me Leanne Rhymes. And it oh, was <laughs> it was yeah. really frustrating.
0: Right. And
1: uh, so I think that might have been the catalyst of, you know what? I think I want to change up my name. Right. And uh, so anyways, fast forward to 2000. And I'm in like the bowels of this ski resort studio. And uh, I ran what's called the distribution area of that. Meaning, uh, I would get the shows that they would produce, and I would get them off of beta tapes and put them onto either DVDs or DVD-RAM, which is a really old technology now. But they kind of look like a really big floppy disk. But yes. you know, if you slide the thing over, there's an actual DVD inside.
0: Right. It's almost like a, like, but, like a mini disc. Mini disc had a yeah, little yeah. plastic, but it was bigger version.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I would sit in there and I would copy everything to these DVD Rams or DVDs we uh, migrated later and I would send them out to all the stations. This is before like FTP and all that stuff, right. you know, right. FTP with like big video files. Right. Um, we did have FTP for images anyway. So it was, you know, within those bowels. Now I made my office area, which had all this equipment, I had, you know, a hundred TV screens it seemed like, and all this equipment, you know, dub and stuff. And I kept the room dark and I always had music playing or something like that. And I was just kind of the uh, you know, the stepchild of the station, you know, right. I was I was lowest man on the totem pole. So I'd sit in there and I'd write my raps and, you know, and do my thing. And I'd research, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, while things are recording or, or dubbing, whatever. And I had finished this album and in my opinion, it was the best album I had made to date. And uh, I really wanted to release it under a different name, and I—I I literally just made it up. There's no like really interesting origin to the actual name, Nomar right. Slavic. I, I just thought it sounded cool, especially the last name Slavic. Um, but yeah, it was just something I made up one day. And uh, the album title is "Purple Lights" and "April Foolishness," which came out in, actually it
0: came out in 2002.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, so. Uh, I, this Go is ahead, the I'm deal sorry. though i know that i that that this came out in 2002 um i remember when it dropped though but i for some reason and this is because i i was a freelance journalist for insomniac that's how i met you by the way yeah yeah, yeah. insomniac um i mean i had I been i started insomniac. yeah it was a long time ago um yeah. and but i know that you had i know i had heard you before that i know that you were on something before that. There, yeah, I did I some I work heard.
1: with, um, I did some work with JD Walker, uh, back in the day, JD Walker was, um, uh, affiliated with Anticon and yes. was like uh, a friend with soul and and those guys. Uh, but he was, he stayed in Maine while the rest kind of migrated out to Oakland. I was also down with uh, Jonah motion. Uh, we're still down to this day. I did his podcast last year <laughs> at one point, um, but I was on some Jonah Motion stuff, and Jonah Motion goes by the, the Mole for people who don't know.
0: Yeah, And like, uh, the Mole. So,
1: yep. Yeah, yeah. So I did some stuff with the Mole. Uh, I think before I put something out. Um, So you probably, you know, caught wind with some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, because I because when when I looked up Discogs, you know, Discogs is like the Bible. Where if you want to find out a you know person's background, <laughs> particularly yeah, independent, yeah. Um, that's what it said. Purple lights and April Fools. I was like, no, I know, I know. I heard them before that. Um, yeah yeah um so that so that was I, your was first
1: true release a, yes uh, yeah that was my first true release as no more Slavic, and yeah. i did a lot of um um collaborations and talking with other artists while I was sitting in that like dungeon (laughs) studio of the ski resort (laughs) and, uh, you know, getting some beats. And I really like befriended Jonah. This was like the early, maybe not the early, early days, but it was early in Ames, uh, AOL Instant Messenger. It was in those early days. And it, it, it was when It kind of it's old hat now, but like I felt like I had made a friend with the Jonah during this time. Like we messaged every day, all day, and trading stories and trading music and and writing stuff for each other and and all that good stuff. So he was a big part mentally of what I was working on at that time. Uh, And he actually ended up doing some remixes for me from for that album, but. But yeah, that was uh, that was where I came up with the name no More Slavic in that little studio, and then the title "Purple Lights and April Foolishness." It's actually uh, a chapter title from the John Keel book, "The Mothman Prophecies." Right, okay, and it was one of the first times where I melded my two loves, my two passions together, which is music and all things paranormal. Uh, that that that's when it. Truly melded for the first time I've always had lyrics here and there You know even right. as lazy rhymes But that was the first time it melded
0: together So the, the scene in, in Maine Because when, when you talk about like the hip hop culture You know obviously yeah. it started in New York And then it kind of like a plague It kind of spread And then you know California yeah. has their scene Philly develops their scene Jersey develops their Chicago You know you got all these main cities But you know like Maine itself Or Oh, even Boston. Let me not leave Boston out. But like you have like New Hampshire and Maine and Vermont, like they're not known for their scene. So when you said you were coming up with those individuals, were you guys the catalyst of the scenes in Maine and that? area? No,
1: the the scene in Maine, specifically in Southern Maine, which is like the city area of Maine, because Maine is mostly rural. uh, But the city area, even these days, Portland is like a mini Boston at this point. Right. Uh, When I was there, it wasn't as developed and you could still afford to live in the city. Uh, I can't anymore, but
0: um. (laughs) that's a lot of places. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah 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 uh, but the scene was already established i wouldn't say it was huge i think right. i was maybe the next generation uh after the first one in in maine and uh so i was getting in with uh jd walker was already doing stuff Brzezowski was yep. already doing things he's a rhode island transplant yeah. and he went to college in portland maine and uh, uh and he did a bunch of really great stuff in rhode island with some other guys um 80 hertz i think was a producer that he did some stuff
0: with isn't Sage Francis uh, then, out of Rhode Island?
1: Yeah, Sage is out of Rhode yeah. Island too. And then obviously uh Chesky down in Connecticut.
0: Yeah, and, you uh, know, so it
1: was a nice little New England area.
0: Clockworks as well, like a group called Clocks Clockworks. Yeah. Is that Connecticut? I forget now. You know, like when, once you get past like the New York going up towards Canada, like yeah. all that melts together. It gets, it gets foggy. And and that's the thing, too, <laughs> that a lot of a lot of those artists like from Rhode Island, Maine you know, collaborated together. So sometimes it was hard to differentiate, but I don't think you guys cared really at that point. No, 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 no. no. And
1: and there were kind of, I mean, I'm not the spokesperson for main rap by any means, but what what I was um, um, uh, experienced with during my time coming up there was there were kind of two different factions if you will and it's not like we ward or anything but it was more like b-boy type hip-hop was one thing happening and yes. those guys did it really well we went to their shows and we loved them and they would come to our shows and that would be great and then there was you know people like me and brzowski and jd walker and santiago a bunch of people uh, rent uh, a lot of guys a frame uh, who i think's in ohio now doing some big things doing some freestyle stuff anyway um but uh, we were kind of doing if you will the more anticon type stuff the more avant-garde type
0: yeah. music you alternative know? rap
1: yeah yeah yeah. if you will yeah okay. uh yeah so i might have forgotten what the question was or where i was going with that but
0: no it's all right i mean really what i was trying to say is uh because you you basically answered my question you got you were like the next yeah. generation of the originators and yeah, yeah, yeah. of that scene um
1: yeah because because i would say i mean there were definitely guys before soul but uh you know soul and anticon but like soul really put southern maine on the map as oakland transplants you know what i mean um but there's uh some there was a group down there called ill natural that's their name ill natural and they were actually featured in the source and they had come up, um, you know, before all of that stuff was going on. And those are some really cool guys. I'm like friends with them now on, on right. Instagram. So it's kind of cool to see what they're doing now. You know, one's yeah. running a record shop, one's producing and, you know uh, you know, everybody's still in the scene in their own different way. It's pretty cool right. to, to, to watch it evolve.
0: So ill natural. Okay. I'm going to look them up because I, yeah, I, yeah it's good stuff. Good I collect, stuff. Uh, I collect obscure, you know, music yeah. like, like that so that would be something I got a, I i've say. got a
1: grip of cds in storage <laughs> that is just all local when i was coming up you yeah. know you go to a show and hopefully i could trade you know one, right. one of mine for one of theirs and that did happen a lot but you know a group like ill natural who in my opinion, at that time were way above what I was doing. And, you know, I wanted to show respect and, you know, buy a CD and, you know, you write your email address on the mailing list, you know, and all that stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about networking really at that point. Sure. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, when, when I was following a lot of these groups, you know, a lot of the tactics I used to use is I used to go on their webpage, you know, that's when they had web websites yeah. and I would go to their link section and in their link section, they would have links to groups that they build with and, or they networked with. And that's how I learned about newer groups. And then on those groups pages, I would find other groups and then it just, yeah, spread. Yeah. and that's how I like, you know, amass the collection that I have. So whatever you do, don't get rid of that collection. Cause I know. No, you know. <laughs> Never, never. never. All right. So let's get into like the, the transition from being, not that you stop being, you know, uh, uh, an artist, but the transition from doing that, to getting into the paranormal what was your first time referencing paranormal like in your music do you remember that like
1: um yeah yeah i do um i was sitting in my apartment in portland maine and i think i just finished reading the supernatural side of maine it's by an author named cj stevens it's in it's still one of my favorite books from a Maine author and I just got done reading that. And that book has a lot of different stories. Um, if you look up uh, uh, books on the paranormal in Maine, there'll be 50, 100 books about ghosts in Maine. Right. But, but this particular book covered everything from ghosts to werewolves to UFOs. And UFOs has a special place in my heart. And we'll, we'll get to that you know, at some point. But I, I just got done reading this book. It's a fascinating, phenomenal book. I actually rebought it. It's a rare book. Like anytime I see it in a store, I grab it, you know, which is rare. So I think I have like three copies of it. What's the name of that? Supernat- the Supernatural Side of Maine. Okay. And the author is CJ Stevens. And uh, I'd got done reading that book. And I'm, I remember being pretty late at night. It was probably, well, late for me. It was probably like 1 a.m., something like that. And I was like, ah, I, I want to do, I want to do something Within the paranormal, you know, and this was right around the same time. It was uh, 2001, 2002 ish, something like that. And I, I really wanted to do something and I have this this library of paranormal books and UFO books and all that good stuff. And I'm looking at it. And I You know, uh, as collectors, we're kind of always um, um, putting our collections in certain orders, you know, Uh, sometimes it's by genre or, you know, name, things like that. So for my books, anyways, I had all of my local books in one section and I was looking it over and I was like... I don't think there's a, a, a UFO book specific to Maine. There are some books that have um, stories that might come from Maine, but there's stories from all over. There's one book called The Allagash Abductions, and that is a an entire book uh, about four guys who witnessed and were abducted by UFOs. And that all took place in Maine. But Was it's- that
0: uh, the one where they were on the boat? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah because that's that's what i considered like lore like that's like okay you have like the top stories in the paranormal sure sure betty and barney hill yeah um, phoenix lights you know things along those lines and that's one of them that almost in every documentary you hear about that story
1: Yeah. yeah 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 um and Allagash Abductions. We can get into that a little bit if you want, but uh, yeah, yeah. Cause I think they, it was
0: twins, right? It, it was, it was uh,
1: twins. It was twin brothers and then yes. two friends. So it was yes. four people all together. And uh, their story was actually featured on Unsolved Mysteries and there yep. was a, a book dedicated to their story. So that was like the one a book about UFOs in Maine, but it was one story, you know, one, uh, one incident. Yeah. One incident, if you will. Right. And uh, so I, 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 th- I sat there and foolishly thought to myself, oh, I'm going to write that book about UFOs in Maine. And that's when I, I I've been collecting stories, uh, UFO stories for years, newspaper clippings. Uh, if a friend told me a story, I would write it down. So I kind of went to my own files on what I had for UFO stories in Maine. And first of all, it was kind of thinly populated. I didn't have as much as I thought I had, it, in regards to thinking about a book. And then even what I did have was just little articles and these stories, the the really amazing stuff, the heartbreaking stuff, the stuff that gives you goosebumps really comes out in the details. And that's what a lot of these stories were lacking. So I knew that I needed to, A, actually start talking to people as opposed to just collecting stories. And if I did... Uh, collect a store or wanted to use a newspaper clipping, I had to try to find out more information about particular sightings, you know? So that's when that process slowly started for me because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I, I don't know how to write a book. You know, I, I barely know how to make music. I barely know how to write a book now, you know right, what I mean? Right. And so it was, it was an iner- interesting process to start. And it actually took me like six years to write my first book, right. you know, and that's not even, I wasn't even working on it every day or anything like that. I wasn't as um, uh, studious maybe as right. as I am now. Like if I'm working on a book project, it's every day. And, you know, it's something I'm kind of tuned into now. But back then I would collect stories, try to get details, interview people. And then six months might go by and I might not write a thing, you know, uh, because I'm still working on music during this time. And right. that the, the book felt like it was back burner stuff.
0: The, and, the time wasn't right for you to do yeah. back that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. The time wasn't right. And then the time became right, you know, eventually. And, uh, but that was the, that wasn't the transition, but that was like the start of, you know what, I, I think I can do this. You know, I, I think I can, and uh, and my dad. My dad is a uh, retired high school teacher. He's a French teacher, actually, uh, but he has a uh, a degree in English. And when I told him uh, that I was thinking about writing a book, he's he got excited uh, to the point of, uh, uh, or in regards to like wanting to read the draft so he could help correct things, you know, and right. I'd be my editor. So right. my dad was my first editor and, that's awesome.
0: uh, that's awesome. Man. Yeah. You can't beat that. And my dad's
1: <laughs> no, no. And my dad's a huge skeptic, but he's always supported all the like dumb little ideas that I have, you know?
0: Right. Uh, so that's with, a sign of a great father, man.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree. He was always supportive. And, uh, in regards to that sort of thing, um, yeah, I think that's, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry.
0: It don't matter. Don't worry about it, man. This show's about you, homie. Don't worry about all it. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll get on. All right. So, all right. So before you wrote your book, uh, you had your first experience when you were four years old, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah, So can you hey, go dude. into that? I mean, and sure. leave no details out. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah. I had experiences as well as a young kid. So I'm pretty sure I would be able to correlate what to what you're saying. So yeah, and, and and I
1: would like to hear some of your stories as well. So we should do a little back and forth. But
0: well, we could do back and forth. But uh, mine will be brief because again, this is about you, man. I don't I don't want to make it about me. I want this is all. This is no more show right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you, man. Yes. All yes. right. Go ahead, so man. So
1: it was. I was three or four years old, and I was living in Fort Kent, Maine. In Fort Kent, Maine is way at the tip of Maine, which means I was next uh, door to Canada. Literally could throw a rock and hit Canada. That's how wow. close we live. So way up north, very remote. And I had fallen asleep one night in my room overlooks or overlooked the St. John River, St. John River, a big river up in northern Maine. And that's what separated us and Canada. I fall asleep one night and a loud bang or something wakes me up and I I don't know what it is. I'm not really scared. I'm just like, you know, what the heck was that? And so I'm kind of like looking all around and I start hearing little taps on my window and I'm like, oh, rain, it's raining. Maybe that was thunder that I heard. And then I heard thunder and then I saw, you know, the sky light up and I was like, oh, a thunder and lightning storm. So I actually kneeled up in my bed to look out the window. So, you know, even at that young age, I knew that lightning happened just in a split second. Correct. So after a moment, I saw this lightning bolt, for lack of a better term. That's how I see it in my head now when I remember it. But I saw a lightning bolt get stuck in a cloud. And the lightning bolt in my head that I remember looks like if I asked you to draw a lightning bolt, you would draw like a jagged yellow line. Or it kind of looks like the charging indicator on your smartphone, you know, just that generic yellow uh, line. Like a symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was stuck in a cloud. And there was electricity coming off of it. And there were booms like associated with it. And I knew knew it was weird. I I knew I shouldn't have. I I shouldn't keep seeing it. Like it should have blinked out in a split second, but it didn't, it stayed there. I honestly don't know what happened next. I must've fallen asleep. I wake up the next morning, go to the bathroom. And when I'm walking back from the bathroom to my bedroom, I can see out my windows and the lightning bolt is still there.
0: I'm like, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. In the morning. So it's daylight and I'm seeing this yellow thing in the sky, essentially to translate it, if you will. But My memory tells me that it's a lightning bolt stuck in a cloud. So uh, I knew that that was weird. So I ran downstairs to get my dad and I brought him upstairs to look out the window to show it to him. I don't know why we didn't just go outside because our front porch, you know, faced the same way. But I took him upstairs and it was gone. That sucks. And I tried explaining to him what it was, you know, and he's got a three or four year old telling him that there's a lightning bolt in the cloud. You know what I mean? And, and he just kind of did what adults do and like patted me on the head and was like, right. hey, yeah, but I think I was really insistent because right. I remember him kneeling down and putting his hands on my shoulders and he had to like, try to calm me down a little bit and, and, and tell me that there wasn't even a lightning and thunderstorm the previous night. And I thought that was weird. Um, uh, I wasn't scared. I didn't think UFO. I was just like, that's weird. You know, like, uh, I don't know what to think of it. You, I'm a kid and I'm sure I ate some cereal and forgot about it. You know, I think two weeks later, my dad wakes me up in the middle of the night. Now being like four years old, I don't know if that's 10 PM or 3 AM. I, I, I still have no idea. I even asked my folks and they don't know. But they woke me up in the middle of the night and I come downstairs and my mother is dressing my sister in winter clothes because it was very cold outside. My dad gets, you know, jacket and all that stuff on me and scoops me out. We all go outside and they wanted to show us the Northern Lights. It was the first time I've ever seen them. It's the only time I've ever seen the Northern Lights. And, you know, to this day, I remember seeing the sky shimmering with, you know, like greens and blues and it was again, weird and fascinating and happening in the sky. So I think that was like a good trauma or something, you know, that really stuck and got instilled into me that weird shit happens in the sky and I should pay attention. And I have ever since I'm constantly looking up and I think I've seen, uh, at this point, 12 UFOs in my lifetime. Right now, when I say UFO, UFO has become synonymous with extraterrestrial. I literally saw unidentified flying objects. Some weren't, you know, crazy and could, you know, a logical explanation, uh, could be to blame for for what i saw i just know in the instant that i saw whatever it was i couldn't identify you know what it was on 12 different occasions you right know? Uh, but and yeah that- that's that was the catalyst
0: that story yeah. right there well that's what a ufo is something you yeah. a person can't identify um, right right but because of you know entertainment and all this stuff people automatically associate it with something extraterrestrial or alien but it's not always the case Right. Um, so you said you had other experiences, which was my next question. What is What other yeah. experiences have you had? Now, you said you had 12 UFO, other UFO uh, sightings. So if yeah. you can go through some of those. And have you had any other experiences, like with ghosts, cryptids, yeah. anything um, unusual?
1: Yeah, I've had um, all three UFOs, ghosts, and one cryptid sighting. And then maybe two, because... Yeah, maybe two, because one of them seemed like a dream. I, I can tell that one in a little bit. Um, one of the, uh, another UFO one where I was had my full faculties and I was at an appropriate age to process what I was seeing. This happened, I believe in oh four, five, or 06, something like that. I, I wrote about it in one of my books and I don't have the book in front of me, but one of those years. And it was probably 6 p.m. in the evening and I was already home from work and my roommate came home and I was upstairs on the computer working on music, you know, so I was in my little studio, I had my door closed and I hear my roommate come home because I heard them drive up, you know, close the front door. And then I hear them running up the stairs. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Maybe they're late for something. I don't know. And they come bursting into my studio room and they're like, there's a UFO outside right now. You got to go check it out. And my roommate at the time was also a pretty big skeptic. And I'm like, if she's saying that, I got to go check this out. So, uh, you know, I grab my phone, I run downstairs and I step outside onto the front porch and about, I don't know, 100 yards over my neighbor's house, which is across the road. Is something hovering in the sky? So it's 6 p.m. in Maine, uh, which I think almost any time of year besides uh, July, August, and September it's dark. <laughs> so it was dark at this point. Right. I forget the time of year though; it might have been Aprilish, maybe May. And I see two white lights with a red light in the middle, and it's literally just hovering over my neighbor's house. So I, I'm standing out there on the front porch. Uh, fascinated, jaw dropped, and I'm just watching this thing. And uh, I finally kind of come to, and I'm like, "Oh, I got a phone!" So I pull out my phone, and it's one of those Nokia brick phones.
0: Yeah. I and so
1: that. I, I I snap a picture of it, and it was just like a squiggly red line, you know, with a black background. So it didn't show much. I'm like, "God oh, dang!" So I'm watching it for I don't know, just a couple of minutes. It's hovering, silent in place still the whole time. And then at one point it's here and then it goes diagonally up, maybe 50 yards, you know, another 50 yards, uh, but diagonally up and hovers. So I'm like, oh my God, it moved, you know, and I'm watching it. And then it starts taking off in this straight line, kind of following the road so I kind of fumble for my keys. I get in the car, start it up, and as soon as I ran down and got in my car, I was facing away from the neighbors, so I immediately lost sight of it, so I back out of the driveway, finally get onto the main road, and now I'm driving in the direction that it went, and my head is just like, where is it? Where is it? I I, I don't see it, but a mile mile down the road, though, there's this bed and breakfast, and there's this huge huge field that's next to it. So I kind of whip right in there and the huge field just has this pristine view of the sky. And then beyond the field, you eventually are over ocean. Uh, yeah. And so I sat there I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And I never saw it again. Wow. And that was an ultimately frustrating <clears throat> encounter but to see something hovering that still that low and you know for a skeptic to run inside and to tell me that there was a ufo outside kind of blew my mind now when i went back home i uh, talked to my roommate and i was like how did you see it like did you park and turn around and she was like no it i I almost thought it was following my car and i'm like what she's like yeah it was like above the treetops on the side of the road you know, uh, the same side that the neighbor's house was on, but above the treetops and it was following her, you know, and she said it stopped over the neighbor's house. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And you know that, I mean, that's pretty much the story, but that was a pretty significant sighting for me,
0: you know, I made an impact. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think I was, um, might've been 27, something like that at that time.
0: So I'll tell you something, I'll tell you one of the one of my stories. It's not even Please like do. I don't even consider it like my best story, but um like the house that I'm living at right now, I moved in 2014. Okay. Bought this house in 2014. Um so about maybe 2 or 3 weeks, you know, we're still kind of unpacking, we're not settled down yet, and I was at home. So if you go in through my the front door of my house, you can see the back of my house. The house isn't huge; it's probably like fifteen hundred square feet. And when you look at the back of my house, I have like this huge um, sliding door that leads to the backyard. But above it, I have this half moon window, okay, that looks out through the back of my house. It's about maybe three and a half feet high and four feet wide, okay. So this was a daytime sighting. So I'm in the house and I'm doing stuff around around the house and. I pass by this window all the time and every once in a while I look up. And it's great because you can see we have an airport that lives near us and I'm, I'm one to always look up at the sky. I'm not always on my phone like other people are. I always look up at the sky and I love seeing planes and the birds fly by all the time. But like, I wanna say about two, two hours into the morning, I see this white dot and it's probably around noon time. And I thought it was a star, so I just kept doing whatever. About two hours later, that dot is still there and it shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal to me. But for some reason, I feel a connection with it. Like they're, they're like it shouldn't be there. So after about another couple of hours, I pass by again and I look up and that dot's still there. And I'm just watching it for, you know, two minutes, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And I see this arm not an arm like an arm but like a, a, a you know how you have those refueling planes that that arm comes out to yeah fuel the jets it looked something similar to that coming out Holy of shit okay about maybe 10 seconds to 20 seconds later a jet flies on un, un, under it now it's not a plane it's a it, it it's definitely a fighter jet i'm ex-air force so i've seen plenty of them this thing flies under it 10 seconds later, another one flies by under it. 10 seconds later, another one fly, flies by under and then it starts to move. So this thing had been there in, in suspension for hours, not moving. And then all of a sudden, these jets start flying by, and then it starts to move. So uh, was I run that out.
1: Arm, did that arm stay out when it started to I, move?
0: I didn't notice it, whether it went okay. back in or stayed out. I just know that it started to move. And I said, I have to go outside to see this. Now, where I live, again, there's trees in my in my in my neighborhood, but they're not tall enough where they block and they obscure the sky. So by the time I got in my house, which was literally like five to 10 seconds, I should have been able to still see this thing. But by the time I got out, it was gone. Wow. So wow. That, that's one one of many stories.
1: Yeah, that's major. Wow. That's a that's but a crazy it's almost
0: similar to what you kind of. You know what you went through. With, with yeah, the, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know? It was a significant
0: impact. It showed intelligence. Yours showed intelligence, and so it did. It did. You know.
1: Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, another one that was the latest, which is the twelfth sighting, uh, was one of those. The only time where I felt a connection. I never felt that before. I just thought every other sighting I've had felt unintentional. I happened upon something I wasn't supposed to see, you know, something like that. But this one, I I, I felt a connection. And it happened uh, late 2021. I believe it was December 2021. It could have been January, but I don't think so. So uh, I like to take walks. I actually like to go on bike rides, but in Maine during the winter, I can't really ride your bike. Um, So in the winter, I transitioned to walking. And I like to go down by this marina in this small town that I live next to. And the marina area, it's parking lot. And there's a hotel and a restaurant there. That whole area is basically kind of like a racetrack. It's just like this huge circle. And so I like to walk around that a couple of times. It ends up being, you know, uh, like 2.5 miles, something like that. So good, I like to walk. Good exercise.
0: Around. Good exercise. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I like to go at night. I like to put on a scary podcast, and I walk around at night. I got my little flashlight. Right. And uh, small coastal towns in Maine are ghost towns during the winter. Uh, you know, during the summer, you know, it's a they're huge vacation destinations. Right. But tourist
0: attractions. Yes.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So the marina is dead. There's a couple of uh, workers. They still, you know, work on the water in the winter. So there's a couple of them that were kind of bringing in gear, you know, down by the water. Uh, but uh, where I was walking, I was probably, I don't know, 300 yards away from the, the edge of the water. So I'm walking and it's, I think, 7, 730-ish. And I see this golden, ambered, colored, light over the water. It's not star size. And and I can tell it's, it's, you know, um, maybe half a mile up, you know, something like that. So definitely low enough uh, to not be celestial, you know, and uh, I never seen it before. I I walk there all the time and an ambered unblinking light sticks out, you know, so I'm keeping my eye on it and I can see that it's slightly moving. Just barely. It's not hovering though, but it's really slow moving and it's just moving in a perfectly straight line. I, I can't believe how straight this thing is. And I'm watching it and I'm walking and I'm watching it and I'm walking. And something I wouldn't say something clicked, but something I felt a little unsettled after a moment. I wasn't terrified, I wasn't scared. Right. But so, a little was off. From, Yeah. Something was definitely off. And that's when this thing was like halfway through my line of vision. You know what I mean? Uh, So it was like here and it eventually got to like this middle halfway point, if you will, in my line of sight, because I'm like kind of walking towards the water at this point. And this thing stops in midair and, and I can almost see it get a little bit bigger as if it's turning to come towards me.
0: Oh, that's not cool.
1: No. And, but it also is. (laughs) But I I was certainly unsettled by it, though. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening right now. And, you know, like I said before, I'm listening to my scary podcast. So I've got my phone in my pocket. And uh, so I reach into my pocket, but I'm wearing gloves because it's freaking cold and I'm having a hard time. So I take off my glove and I'm looking down now to pull the phone out, pull the phone back up, gone. Wow. And, Yeah. And so the sighting lasted three minutes, maybe even being a researcher and an interviewer with all this stuff, every sighting I have, I am very much a human being. And I'm just in the moment experiencing the sighting. I don't want to, I want to be a good researcher and document it, you know, but I get caught up in the moment because it's a big deal, you know. If if a watcher of yours hasn't seen a UFO or hasn't had an odd experience, if that does finally happen, you you know that's when you'll know that wow, it's it's really tough to get a good picture or to be uh, uh, cognizant of of something else to do while this crazy thing is happening, you know. Correct.
0: Yeah, the the thing that I that I notice is when I talk to people about their experiences, and it's all across the board. They all say the yeah. same thing is. Well, I never asked for this you know
1: yeah 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 that gets into this whole other side of ufology that i've been working on lately and we can get into that a little bit later but but yeah that was my latest ufo sighting and it happened right in my little small town and this i haven't written about about it yet but uh you know publicly speaking about it
0: um, you should write about it um yeah yeah i will when, when this thing was going on did you notice like um like, I'm pretty sure this ambient, well, you had your headphones on, so I, I, maybe yeah. it's not the right question to ask about if, if the sound stopped, because that tends to be a thing where the, you don't hear any. Yeah, like before.
1: you're kind of in a vacuum or. Yeah, you know, like
0: you're like, like. You're sort of like
1: no, I, I didn't experience that. But the unsettled feeling was I felt like it noticed me. And again, I've never felt that way before. Right uh in in uh extraterrestrial type encounter um so that was that was really that was new and it was a little scary and um uh, i've been there since and right. i haven't seen anything but uh but that connection piece when you said that about yours this was the only time it happened and it was really recently and uh, i thought it was fascinating
0: you know right um yeah so so let's get into like some of your other stuff. Like uh, you can yeah. start wherever you want, cryptid, we can do yeah. those.
1: So this weird cryptid sighting happened in February of 2020. And that was like right before the pandemic dropped. So it feels like eons ago, you right, know. Right. But February in Maine, it's dark like at 4 p.m., you know. Well, I guess it's more like five-ish now.
0: I know. Yeah. Uh,
1: but it was about 6 45. And I was approximately three miles from my house. I was headed home.
0: So wait a second. And, wait a second. No more. So that your area is a hotspot.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, if you're having all yeah. everything that you've said essentially is around where you live. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, my first book is called UFOs Over Maine. And I had no shortage of stories. My next book was called Otherworldly Encounters, but I wanted to call it UFOs Over Maine Part Two, but the publisher didn't want me to. But that was another book of all main sightings. You had so many you couldn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so go ahead.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) it's February. It's about 645. I'm driving by myself. I live in the sticks. So it's uh, uh, not a very well-traveled road after nightfall. You know, everybody in the area gets out of work at 3, 4, or 5 p.m. Everyone's kind of home and eating dinner, fine, you know, at that point. So the road isn't very well traveled. It's a 45 mile an hour road. I typically go right around the speed limit, maybe five miles an hour over. So I'm going 45, 50 miles an hour. And on the really opposite side, you're
0: going 70. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I'd be afraid to hit a deer, man. Um, but I'm uh, ahead of me uh, on the opposite side of the road, probably 100 yards, something like that. My headlights hit this five, six foot tall, inky black figure, super black, like a, like beetle black or covered in tar type black, just really black and shiny with my lights on it. Wow. And it was this tall figure. And it kind of looked like, um, like it was made of sticks. It kind of looked like one of those Blair witch stick dolls that was in the movie, you know, uh, but it had antlers
0: or like a wicker man thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Something like that. But it had antlers or something on its head. Wow. And I'm seeing this and I'm like, what the hell? And, um, a lot of areas in Maine on their uh, rural roads, there's ditches on either side for water drainage and things like that. And this thing is uh, on the tar side of the road. And I see it take this elongated step over the ditch to walk into the woods. So it, I, I see it for a split second, almost like it's standing there, like it was still. And then it took this elongated step And disappeared into the woods. And again, I'm going 45, 50 miles an hour, and it's probably a hundred yards in front of me. So I came upon the area really quickly, like to where it walked in the woods and the sighting that I had only lasted like three seconds, maybe something like that. And so I was upon that area where it stepped into the woods very quickly. So I stopped right in the middle of the road and I rolled down my window to (laughs) <laughs> well the you know my my researcher heads you know it's always on yes. <laughs> um, anyways but i was also like fascinated too so I'm, I'm watching and i'm trying to see if i can see it but i can't see anything because there's no light shining in that area now right. and it's not like rural roads have street lights you know so it's just dark and i don't see anything i'm also listening for like the crunching of snow of something walking in the snow right. in the woods i don't hear anything, but A second, two seconds after I put my window down, my car became filled with like this sulfur type smell. Never experienced that before. And I've done ghost investigations and and I've never smelled anything like that before. I know it's a thing that does happen when demons are involved. And sometimes with Bigfoot, they're really stinky. Uh, Sometimes Dogman, there's really stinky stuff. I never experienced it myself, but to have that odor... Like, it hit me so hard. It was so pungent. I had to roll all four of my windows down for the rest of the ride home because it stunk so bad. And, you know, it was probably 10 degrees outside. So it was freezing, but I couldn't stand that smell. Like, I thought I was going to puke. It it smelled so bad. So when I developed,
0: you and it kind of just stuck in your car.
1: Yeah. 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 And by the time I finally got home, I thought it had dissipated enough. You know what I mean? That I just rolled up all the windows. I'm not going to leave them down, obviously. And the next day I didn't smell anything in the car, which is good because it was bad. But um, uh, when I was stopped in that moment, I wasn't going to, there's no place to park. First of all, there's no like side of the road to pull off over to. So I'm just parked and I'm listening and I'm looking and then that smell uh, hits me and I was like, okay, I'm kind of over this, you know, at at this point. So it's not like I stopped to go out to see if I could see footprints or anything. So I finally go home. I actually write everything down and I email it to a buddy of mine and uh, I just wanted it on record, you know, that this crazy thing happened and I didn't want a day or two or longer to go by. I wanted everything as Fresh as possible. So the next day, I went back to again where I thought the area was. Uh, again, I couldn't really pull over, but there was somebody's house that was maybe 500 feet kind of down from where it was. And I just parked in their driveway and I walked over just to see if I could see any sort of weird footprints or something. And uh, I didn't see anything. I did a little bit of research of my immediate area, which I really hadn't done before. You know, I researched tons of stories everywhere in my state, but I'm like, oh, my little small town, let me do a quick search. I I don't really do that for whatever reason, you know? So I, I, you know, I'm doing some research on my little small town and it turns out back in 1995, there was a pretty significant UFO encounter where um, this woman and her mother reported a UFO like hovering over their backyard which is a pretty significant encounter. Um, There was nothing in there about them feeling like they'd been abducted or that they saw any sort of entity, but this thing hovered in their backyard uh, and it was early evening, uh, meaning like 8 PM, 9 PM, something like that. And the encounter didn't last too long. It eventually rose up kind of slowly and then took off. But I thought it was really interesting that it was within like a five mile area of where I saw this thing you know i don't know what it was i've uh, given that description to some colleagues and to some of them it sounds like a wendigo maybe
0: oh wendigo yeah yeah
1: yeah and uh it's interesting there's a facebook group that i'm a part of called unexplained maine and you know it's got thousands of people and you know people are always reporting crazy stuff but there was this kid who i think he's like 20 or something and he lives right in the next town over from me and just like last week He reported on there uh, on that Facebook group that he had a similar, he described a similar being that he saw just a town over. So I immediately started responding to him and told him about my encounter, what I just told you and all that stuff. And his encounter was much more intense where he felt like he was followed him and a group of friends that this thing was kind of stalking them, you know, and there was a, a, a noxious smell. The thing had antlers. It was kind of tall and skinny and dark looking. It never really got in the light for them to get a good look at it, you know. And uh, uh, for like a few weeks, he's been reporting that he feels like he's plagued by this thing. And, and that's kind of in the lore of the the Wendigo, you know. Yes. So. I thought it was interesting. And uh, so I, he was actually asking me for help and I'm like, well, first of all, no expert, but, you know, here's what I've read about these things and some things you can do to ward it off. You can sage, you can wear silver. Um, also like try not to think about it because that can, you know, the, the lore says that that can kind of keep you trapped sometimes by thinking about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Your so I,
1: I also thought that was interesting for this little area. Now, that kind of scopes it out to a 15 mile radius, you know, from that UFO sighting my encounter and his encounter. Um, but that's still a small radius for kind of three major events. You know, if this kid is to be believed, even if I'm to be believed, somebody might be watching this and be like, yeah, no more is full of shit. you
0: know. No, no, no. Is- um, there's this, uh, I caught this maybe a couple of years ago. It was on, I believe, either sci-fi channel or the travel channel. And you might've seen this yourself, I don't know if it was based on a true story, but there's there is this sort of like documentary-ish movie thing. I think it's called Helltown. I don't know uh specifics, like the actors or anything, but it has to do with like these military members going into this town that was abandoned. And 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 you find out that there is this creature with antlers, like a cryptid, that's hunting these soldiers down that. And that creature was the reason why these people left. Now, if I find out what the name of that is, I'll send you the link to that. Um, to not the link, yeah, please like do what, do what the name, name of it is. It, yeah. it, but they show it almost yearly, um, yeah. like around Halloween. Okay. And I don't know if it's based off a true story, but what how, what you described when you said that the antlers, right away, that came to my head. And yeah
1: then, i wrote it down hell town so I'll, i will think that's it what myself.
0: it's called and, okay. and if you l- read the description if it has anything to do with like military members uh going through this abandoned town that's that's what it is uh okay it's, and it's a good like whatever movie whatever it is it's pretty it's pretty interesting but uh cool but yeah dude you have a hot spot without a doubt you, you yeah your hands are going to be full probably for a while
1: they they always are i just got a um um i have a colleague who's local to Maine, but not local to me like we live a few hours away from each other but she's in maine and literally last night she emailed me a ufo dump of articles and things that she's come across you know and she's more of a uh, bigfoot investigator so any th- time i get something reported to me like that i send it off to her you know she actually just put out a book called uh, bigfoot in maine so a uh, shout out to michelle oh. solier
0: yeah uh how long has she been doing that
1: 15 years maybe okay yeah like you
0: can have to, uh when we end the show if you can just give me like her information absolutely somebody i would love to talk to
1: Ab- yeah she's an amazing uh podcast guest as well she's got yeah. stories for days so oh, I, man, she's amazing I'm, to have on
0: i got all the time <laughs> in the world well not really but you know <laughs> Yeah. your second cryptid story uh what what Let's talk this is a weird now. one. This they're is a weird one, man. They're all weird. No more. Yeah, weird. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: this is uh, to this day. I don't know if it's a dream or not, but it doesn't feel like one, but it sounds like one. Wow. I don't know. So uh, this was around 06, 07, something like that. And I was living in Southern Maine at the time I was living in, in um, like a house that was converted into apartment building uh, into apartments and I lived on the second floor. The first floor, the porch has like an awning on it, like a roof awning on it. And the uh, kitchen windows look over this, this awning. So it's two, three o'clock in the morning. And I wake up in my bedroom having to pee and to get to the bedroom, uh, sorry, to get to the bathroom, you leave my bedroom. It goes into the living room, goes into the kitchen and then into the bathroom. So I step out of my bedroom and I'm just about like I've walked through the living room and I'm just about to step down into the kitchen. And as I'm walking, I can see out the kitchen windows. There's two big windows, and I can see out one of the windows. And I just happen to look. And I I'm literally about to step onto the kitchen floor with one of my feet. One still in the living room, I'm about to step down. And this thing, I see this thing on the awning on the roof, it's, it's 10 feet from me, you know, 15 feet from me. I see the black silhouette of like a person crouched down on this awning, like right on the kind of on the edge of this awning. And he's facing away from me, but he's crouched down and it's just a black silhouette. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to think. Uh, I don't know if it's a prowler, if it's a neighbor that's high, I don't know what to think and it stopped me in mid-step. And of course I'm half asleep or I'm dreaming. I don't know, but I can't really kind of hold that position. So my foot inadvertently just steps down onto the kitchen floor. And when that happens, the thing crooks its head back, like to expose an ear to my area. Like it heard me. Oh, wow. I I barely made an audible sound, you know, the windows are down, right? And I'm indoors. It's, it's out on the roof. So it crooks its head back. Like it it heard me. And again, I'm not seeing any features. I'm not seeing any ears. It just does that movement. It then immediately stands up and it was fairly tall. It might've been six feet tall, something like that. Very slender. And then wings snap out from behind it it like it, it's back is facing me and wings snap out and it's like a like a smack like catching a baseball in a mitt type of smack
0: right well these i mean wings. you know big big birds like eagles and turkey vultures they make that sure. sound when they, when they sure about to take off
1: it was it was it was a really just a rigid almost mechanical movement boom these wings come out it then just almost like it just free falls off the roof. Like it's standing there and and then it soars and takes off. (laughs) What What did I just see? What is this? So I'm frozen there and I'm just looking out the window. I don't, the thing is not there anymore. Next thing I know, I wake up the next morning. I don't remember going to the bathroom, any of that shit. I just have that encounter, but I did see where it flew off towards So I go downstairs to go check it out. And there's actually a chain link fence. That's kind of almost touching the house because there's railroad tracks right there and they don't want people walking into the tracks. So I can't go out that far. So I was hoping to see if there was any sort of footprint or talon print or, you know, something that I might see out there, but I didn't see anything and it was really frustrating. And, and, I kind of saw it. And then I woke up the next morning, you know what I mean? And, and that can maybe be because of a couple of different reasons. A, I was just sleeping and that was a dream. Uh, Second, maybe there was some sort of spell or thing that it put me under, you know, and, and, you know, I just woke up the next morning. Um, or it happened, it was a traumatizing event, and I don't remember some of it, you know? Uh, I don't know what to think of it, but it was weird, and it was scary, and I just remember being frozen in absolute fear. That was one of the s- most scared I remember being. Um, I guess to follow up, I think it was a few weeks later, and that same kitchen window, uh, you know, they didn't allow us to smoke. And back then I was smoking cigarettes. So I would kind of like to cheat the system and I would raise up the window and I would lean out of it. And I had a little ashtray out on that, that awning and I would smoke out the window. So it was like, I don't know, it wasn't that late. It was like 10, 11 PM or something like that. And uh, I'm smoking out the window and I'm hearing, (laughs) I'm hearing these weird beeps and boops, (laughs) like, like, almost like a toy robot right outside it, it's these weird beeps and boop sounds and accompany, accompanying accompanying that is is walking on gravel i'm hearing these gravel footsteps and you can tell it's bipedal you know i'm hearing da, da, da. Right. and it sounds like there's a freaking robot or something walking on the train tracks i'm like what am i hearing you know so i'm kind of straining to see um but there's some uh, trees that are just on the other side of that chain link fence I was telling you about
0: that are blocking. You.
1: Yeah. That's blocking the view there. I do have a complete clear view of the tracks going in the opposite direction, but that's like heading towards the city more or, you know, going through the city more. And this is going away from the city where the trees are blocking, but I hear it coming from over there and it's going to walk past me if this is to continue. So I'm, you know, riveted. And I'm like, what am I hearing? So I'm hearing these weird mechanical beep boop type sounds, and I'm hearing something kind of heavy walking on the tracks. And then before it gets into view, just this all the sounds stop, and I don't see anything. Now it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. It's not the scariest thing to, you know, go out there. So I do. And all I can do is get close to the chain link fence, but when you're close to the chain link fence, I can see down the tracks a little bit more, you know, beyond the trees, there's nothing there. I don't know what I heard. I don't know if I mistook somebody like walking in the parking lot, which is a dirt parking lot. Right. I don't know if somebody was like watching a movie on their phone or something. I don't know It could have been something else, but it really sounded like it was on the tracks. And all I could picture was this weird robot, you know, this weird, big robot walking on the tracks. It was weird, man.
0: Or it could have been that wing creature
1: on a cell phone watching a movie. It could have been. It could have been. I just thought it was weird that like i think those are the only two weird encounters no there's actually a third but uh, those are the two like major encounters that happen and it involved like the same window it just all like kind of seemed like all a similar thing
0: now, now when this winged creature because like you you did research with the first cryptid and and you know it could be a wendigo but you don't know but you went right. and actually did some research and found something that you can attribute you know, that experience too, but did you do any research to find out what could, what that could be? Moth, uh, I, it could be? Mothman. I mean, it's right. Like, and, and that's Mothman, pretty much, is pretty much related to uh, West Virginia, you know, that's right.
1: right. There's, there's been sightings everywhere of Mothman and most recently in Chicago, you know, yes. which is crazy, very urban, you know? Um, but yes, I did do some research and a lot of the stuff that I was finding anytime you kind of do a Google search for, um, winged humanoid creatures especially during that time because i believe mothman prophecies the movie was just coming out right around that time everything was coming up as mothman right you know.
0: is that the richard Deere movie the one richard it Geer? is yeah uh, yeah Keel, yeah
1: okay uh, which is a great movie by the way it's eerie as fuck yes. however it varies much differently from the book so i definitely recommend reading the book uh, as well as seeing the movie but yeah i saw the movie
0: and, and i read maybe a quarter of it. I still got to finish the rest of it, but um, it didn't get a lot of good press and I don't know, you know, and it should have, I don't know why, but mm-hmm. people aren't, I guess aren't into that sort of stuff, but go ahead. Uh, you yeah, go.
1: Man. But yeah, so that was a lot of the kind of stuff that I was finding. So then I was trying to modify my searches a little bit and At that time, I didn't have a ton of colleagues in the paranormal. I still had a bunch of music acquaintances, but I was just starting kind of with my serious research into the paranormal. So I didn't have a whole lot of people to reach out to that I thought at the time. So in talking to some of my uh, music buddies, to them... Um, they were like oh maybe you should talk to Lauren Coleman Lauren Coleman runs a museum in Portland maine yeah and uh, and he specializes in Bigfoot and other such cryptids you know sea serpents things like that yeah. maybe that's something that uh, he might find familiar at the time you know I wasn't uh, I, I didn't know Mr. Coleman at all I did send him a Facebook message I believe uh, or maybe it was a defunct email from his website something like that and I never heard back from him years later like we've become very friendly with each other you know Uh, which is yeah which is really cool Uh, but I've yet to bring that story back to him Uh, like this dude is kind of like a legend in my world so if I'm in his presence I kind of just like to soak up what's happening and not bombard him with my stuff so
0: yeah so he's paranormal royal he is (laughs) however
1: um, fast forward 15 years maybe And I found a Mothman-like encounter that happened in Maine. And and it really reminded me of my encounter um, just on my initial search. So what I came across was a Mothman-like figure spotted in Camden, Maine. Camden, Maine is a very small coastal town. If you've seen any Stephen King movies that take place in a coastal town, that's the kind of town it is, you know. So small coastal town and this uh, gentleman, he was 17 at the time. He was walking home. It was about 6 p.m. at night and he was walking from downtown back up to his apartment building where his parents lived and it was just about a mile walk. So he's walking on the road and he starts hearing this really loud, like chirping or squeaking sound. So he starts looking down thinking he's like about to step on a big rat or something. And while he's looking down, he sees the shadow of something go by on the tar and seeing the shadow of something on the tar means it's probably coming from above him. So he looks up and in the sky just above him is this enormous winged creature and it was making this chirping squeaking sound and he described the body as like four or five feet long he described the head as like a square with tubes coming out of it it's really weird in one of my books he actually illustrated it right. so you can kind of see what he's talking about and the wings kind of looked like bat wings they were kind of translucent and very very long so he's watching this thing and it kind of swoops down a little bit and then it swoops up and literally swoops up in front of his apartment building and then flies behind it and behind the apartment building is a swampy area he said when it swooped up in front of his apartment building the wings went from one side of the eaves to the other
0: wow that's wings so
1: yeah. So he measured that the next day and it was 25 feet long. I mean, that's like the size of a Cessna, you know what I mean? Like that's crazy. So yeah, I, I find this story. Uh, I eventually find the guy, Michelle who wrote the Bigfoot in main book. She actually helped me find the, the actual eyewitness. He didn't want to use his real name. So in the book, his name is changed. Okay. Um, but he told me that story and I wanted to go to Camden. Camden's about a 45 minute drive from, from where I'm at. And I had to go down there to check out a potential mothman like sighting, you know, not to mention the wing creature dream sighting thing that I had. Right. So I went down after interviewing him, uh, it, we just interviewed, uh, he didn't even want to talk on the phone. I think we just did like a million Facebook messages to each other, which is fine. You know, it's not my favorite form of an interviewing, but whatever works for the witness, you know, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was willing to share like, that's a huge part. So I go down to the area and I go down like in June, something like that, uh, of 2016, I think. So he gives me the address to that apartment building. I go to the apartment building. He doesn't live there anymore. He since married because this happened like 15 years before he since married and he lives in southern Maine now. Uh, but I go to the apartment building. First thing I do is measure from one side of the eaves to the other. And sure enough, it was just under like 25 feet or something. I'm like, Whoa. So I then try to find this swampy area that he's talking about. That's behind the apartment building. Well, there's no major road that goes right behind his apartment building. So you have to uh, go up the major road a little bit, and then I kept looking in people's driveways to see if there was some sort of access point. Right. Well, it turns out a few houses down, like in between houses, there's just an access point to this swampy area. You know, it's not tarred or anything. It's just a a small little dirt driveway that goes down a hill. And now you're kind of like in a marshy area. Then beyond the marshy area, it gets really swampy. And I'm like, this looks like a great place to set up shop for the night and keep my eye out for anything. So one thing I always do if I'm out in the field investigating, and I know I'm going to be late, and I know I'm going to be in a weird area or a public area, I like to go to the cop shop and just let them know what I'm doing. I don't want to get hassled you know later on that night because it's I've been hassled so I try to avoid it so I go to the cough shop I explain what I'm doing and they're they're always like okay weirdo like have fun thanks for letting us know yeah so so I finally it's probably I think I started around 11 p.m. And this is June in Maine. So, you know, mosquitoes are bad and it's humid. You know, it gets humid for like two days a month and it happened to be, (laughs) I mean, two days a year and it happened to be one of those days. So it's like super hot and the mosquitoes are bad and I'm parked down in this swampy area, you know, and the only thing I want to do is crank up the AC and roll the windows up, but I can't, you know, I'm going to miss something. And I, and I don't want to. So I'm sitting there in the dark. It's probably 1 a.m. now, maybe 1.30. And nothing's happening. I haven't seen anything, haven't uh, heard anything other than what I think is maybe a deer or you know something, nothing that's really caught my attention. But at one point, I see these two bright red eyes off in the distance, in the marsh, in the swampy area, and it's probably 12 feet up. Uh, You know, uh, elevation, elevation. Thank you. And there was like a a large tree and a tree branch that was kind of close to the area. And I'm like, am I seeing like some weird reflection of like uh, you know an owl's eyes or something like that? And then it would go away. I'd see it for like a split second and then it would go away. So now I've got an area of focus. You know, so now I'm just watching this area, and every once in a while, these two big red eyes come into view and if you know about the mothman and the mothman stories one of the first things witnesses describe are the frightening big red eyes that this creature has so i'm in a marsh i'm in a town and in an area where a mothman like creature was spotted and now i'm seeing red eyes this is crazy you know this is an investigator's dream if you will and even having a better camera at that point taking any sort of picture, nothing was coming out. It's just, it's pitch black there, except for these red eyes I'm seeing every once in a while. And sometimes there's a little bit of shine, like if a car is going by, like on this other road. So I probably see it six, seven times. And then I don't see it anymore. I think I stayed for like another hour after that, something like that, and I didn't see it anymore. So I ended up going back to the hotel room. But I was thinking about it and while it's cool to have like this mothman connection to, to what I may have encountered, it also could be maybe there's a road somewhere beyond what I'm looking at. And for a split second, every once in a while, I'm seeing like the taillights of cars, maybe that's kind of, you know, way off in the distance and maybe going down a hill or something. So I kind of mentally note that, and I go back to the area the next morning, and uh, or whenever I woke up, might have been afternoon, and I go back down to that area, and I can see now. So I, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing weird footprints, or you know, seeing anything out of place at all. So I kind of leave that area, and I want to know what's beyond the marshy area to see if it if there is a road there, and if so. You know, is it possible that I'm, that's what I'm seeing because I parked my car in the same spot and I looked over and I could see this tree with this tree branch. I'm like, yeah, that's about how high the eyes were. And, you know, in my estimation, it was about 12 feet off the ground and I can't physically see a road if cars were going by during the day, I wasn't seeing them from that vantage point during the day. So I'm kind of trolling around. This isn't a town I know very well, but it's a small town. So it's, you know, it's not that big a deal. So I'm driving around and I kind of get on the opposite side of this marshy area. And there is a road that could be the cause of what I was seeing. I don't know if it was, but if there's the possibility that it can be something else, you know, I kind of have to write off my own encounter. Not that it wasn't cool or it's not worth right. discussing, you know,
0: but, no, but you got to be honest and that's, the, that's yeah. you know, you, you can fake it, but the truth eventually comes out. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's being in this field and I'm trying to put stories out there. I want them to be as unbiased and as genuine as possible. You know, obviously I can't a long way. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So was that your third Is that considered your third cryptic sighting, or?
1: I I, I don't consider it one, you know, uh, so I don't lump it into that, but it was definitely a cool experience.
0: You said you had a third one kind of. Uh,
1: of No, I had a ghost. uh, Well, I've had a bunch of ghost experience. I've had two cryptids, one of them, you know, the the thing with the antlers, the winged thing, dream or not, I don't know. And then I guess mothman, but again, I don't consider that one, but I have had a bunch of ghost encounters.
0: What What about shadow people?
1: yeah yeah yeah. i have had some shadow people like sightings i wouldn't necessarily describe it as like a scary encounter it wasn't like where i live and i experienced at night or anything i was investigating somebody else's house with a team and we saw a weird shadow thing walk
0: by us right yeah i i that's uh shadow people has like kind of plagued me my whole life
1: Tell me about that a little bit if you don't mind
0: i mean it's just something since i was a kid you know um, wow. my, my my younger brother you know we we would see shadows like uh we call them shadow people because you know they 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 look like like a person you know they have like a, yeah. what would be a head and, and the shoulder but you don't see any definitive you know appendages or anything like that and okay uh, uh so we've had experiences our whole life, uh, that, you know, missing time, you know, all, the, all that, it, it would yeah. take like hours for me to really go into all that, you know, yeah. um, I said, missing,
1: missing time is fascinating.
0: Too. Yeah. Like, you know, going to sleep in the bedroom and waking up in another room and not knowing how you got there. Yeah. We don't have a history of sleepwalking. So, um, and, and I don't sleepwalk cause you know, my, none of my kids or my wife tell me that I sleepwalk, but yeah. Um, you know, it's just in, in things like that. So that's why I asked about shadow people because usually those ghosts and spirits and shadow people usually kind of connect. Um, but also it aliens also connect with the shadow people too. So um, yeah, tell me about, tell me about your, your ghost stuff. Tell me, uh, your first well, experience wh- and all that, you know, Oh, uh, the first experience,
1: um, I was really young. It might've been, um, it, it was after the UFO lightning bolt thing. So I might've been five or something. And, um, my, my mother has this um, like family friend and we would go visit her on the weekends once in a while. And I remember being really scared of their upstairs area area and like downstairs was like cozy and bright and cheery. As soon as you got upstairs, everything in my experience, everything had like this blue hue to it. And it was a very unsettling feeling. And that's where the bathroom was. And I used to hate going to the bathroom. My dad used to mow this woman's lawn. And I would ask him a thousand times if I could just pee outside. And he's like, no, get up and get upstairs and go in the bathroom. You know, But I was asking him because I was scared of the upstairs. So I'm up there peeing one time and I walk really slowly like up the stairs and I'm kind of looking around and then I dart into the bathroom and I close the door and I always flip the light on even if it's in the middle of the day and I'm peeing and now I'm washing my hands and then I hear like there's somebody upstairs. And so I call out to my mom like mom and there's no answer. And I start to panic a little bit and I slowly open the door and I go, mom, and there's no answer. And I'm like, Oh no, the upstairs, like they, they can't hear you. If you're upstairs, you know, you know how a young mind works. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Oh no. So I open the door and I don't see anybody, but the stairs are like five feet away. So I'm like, if I can just get to the top of the stairs, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. And uh, across from the bathroom was, Her bedroom and her husband had passed away. And I'm like, I don't want to see him. I don't like I instinctually knew that it was him. And and I just remember thinking, I don't want to see him, because I knew he was sitting on the bed or standing in front of the bed or something. And I knew if I looked up, you would see him. I would see him and away from the stairs. So I just kept staring at the stairs. And I'm like, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him. So I just booked it to the top of the stairs. And it's it was like, I thought in my head, it felt like I got released, you know, from this tension or something. And so I don't know if that means that he was standing in the bed uh, by the bed and then dissipated, you know, once I reached the top of the stairs or something like that, I don't know, but it was, that was like my first encounter with something really weird. And my mother had a lot of stories growing or going to that house and also in our own mother's house. And I was asking her at a really young age to tell me ghost stories, you know? And right. so I don't know if some of it was implied or whatever when I, while I was up there, but the upstairs, we went there for years. I think we stopped going because she had passed away. So I think we stopped going there when it was maybe around eight or nine or something like that. And, uh, but anytime I went upstairs, I freaked out.
0: Yeah. Cause you were um, sensitive to that energy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think oh, so.
0: And I think that whatever that was knew that.
1: Yeah. 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 And um she always taught I never met him because he had passed before I was born. But um she would always talk about like how much he loved kids and how much of a nice guy he was, you know. So he was probably like, Oh, little man might be able to see me, you know, like All right, this okay. is cool. And he and he probably wanted to say hi, but maybe he realized he was freaking me out. And he's like, Okay,
0: I'll leave yeah, him alone. Leave I, I him. think sometimes spirits uh they they know you know what i mean like yeah you know i think some of their pe- personality carries over into the spirit world and i hope so man if he was a nice guy he was probably like yeah i don't want to scare this kid you know yeah and some yeah. ghosts are like i don't give a damn i'm gonna scare <laughs> yeah. <from this> kid. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so tell me which tell me more. yeah, yeah no, so finish, finish your thought i'm sorry
1: no no uh no i'm basically done so uh when i was uh, doing ghost investigations we got called out to this place that uh, was a former funeral home which had been converted into four separate apartments so it was a pretty that's, big building
0: that's the worst thing anybody could do i know <laughs> i know it's like poltergeist the movie poltergeist.
1: <laughs> so we had been called out there like the first time that we we probably went there like 10 times but the first time we got called out there was because this woman was living with her child I think the child was like 10 or something like that. And it would complain about something going into its room and like poking him and, you know, giving him a hard time, waking him up. And he would get up scared and run to his mom and blah, blah, blah. So one night this, the the kid woke up, ran to his mom's room and said, you know, this thing is poking me in the foot and it hurts. And she's like, come on, let me take you back to bed. It kind of became a routine at this point. Well, while she's walking him back to the bedroom she seen blood stains on the carpet and so she checked out his foot and he was poked enough that it punctured through and she's like oh my goodness you know so she bandaged him up and all that good stuff but she knew like hey that's not cool Are you touching my kid like hurting him like that's not cool so we got called to to go out and check it out see if we could figure anything out and uh, anytime we went there, we had really interesting uh, electromagnetic field fluctuations. We would catch a lot of interesting uh, EVPs, and uh, we had a really hard time catching stuff on camera. I think we got a couple of shadows, like here and there. But the last time we went out, like the people that live there were like, "This is enough. Like we <laughs> we're sick of being scared. We can't go into the basement." And, you know, the basement was like uh, the storage area for, you know, all four apartments. And people were tired of being scared in in their own homes. So they're like, is there something you can do to like get rid of this haunting, you know? And I'm no expert when it comes to stuff like that. So I called some people in to do a cleansing and, uh, you know, with sage and some salt and all that stuff. And they had come up with a plan where we would salt Around the entire perimeter of the house. But we left an opening that was uh, this little garage door on the back of the house, which is actually where the hearse would back up, back into I mean, to collect, yeah. you know, the people. Bodies, yeah. So we left that area open and salted everywhere else. They went into every room and blessed and saged every room and did their thing. And, um, and, what they were trying to do were to have like a pathway where everything would leave from, you know, by having it salted. And we also wanted to potentially document the passage of whatever could be leaving the house. Now we had investigated there like 10 times. And so we had established a rapport with like 12, 13 different spirits, which is a lot for one place, you know what yeah. I mean? And one of these spirits said that there was a uh, malevolent, like larger than life sort of
0: spirit that was kind of confining them all there. So it was like dominating them. Are Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you there?
1: K2 is a little EMF look, look. device. Oh, you got me?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So my internet my internet went out. Are you there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you were at the point where you said there was one spirit that was dominating all the yes. others. Can you pick up from there, please?
1: I'm sorry. Sure. No, it's all right. So through like multiple EVP sessions and K2 sessions, a K2 is a device that has lights on it. And uh and interacts with potentially uh EMF spikes. And what we would do was try to have yes and no conversations by it's you know, lighting a light for a yes and a different colored light for a no, and we would have full-blown conversations with this thing. It was really interesting. So it got to the point where this spirit that was communicating through the K2 told us that there were like 50 or more spirits there that were being held by this one dominant spirit. Wow. And then we were inquiring, you know, like, is it demonic? Is it a really bad spirit? And they basically answered like, no, it's just kind of like an asshole spirit, you know, but <laughs> but nothing, but nothing demonic, you know? Right. So that made us feel better. Right. So uh, we wanted to document potentially seeing this activity with trying to get this spirit out. So we actually set up a little path of K2 meters uh, that led to the ent- or the exit of the salt, you know perimeter thing that we did. And I was outside and I had some team members inside and we had walkie-talkies and we were talking to one another. and I wanted to see if I could see anything outside like leaving the house. And they wanted to see if they could see the K2 meters go off or if they could see anything happening inside while this cleansing was happening. So they would radio me and tell me, oh, one K2 meter just went off. And then, you know, five feet down towards closer to the entrance. Oh, the other one went off. Oh, "Oh, the other one went off like it was leaving. And they're like, well, we think it's leaving right now. And sometimes they would hear the garage door rattle and stuff like that. But I wasn't seeing anything exit. And uh, during one of those times where they said, okay, this K2 is going off. Now this one's going off. Um, We think it's going outside now. I saw these two pairs, uh, a pair of legs, like step out and like turn and look towards me. There was no torso, no head, no feet. It was just the legs. It was really weird. And it was white. There were, it sounds like a movie, but they were almost glowing. You know, like there was a slight hue or glow to it or something. And it was just really weird to see them like turn towards me. And then they kind of just dissipated. So this went on, like, this was a long process. Like this went on for like an hour, hour and a half or something.
0: Are you recording this?
1: Uh, Yeah, they're recording it. I'm recording it, you know, on the outside. They're recording it on the inside. They're not catching anything. I'm not catching anything. Uh, They can see K2 meter stuff happening. I think we might've caught a few EVPs like inside, but like I'm outside. And at one point, while I'm outside, there's this field, or I mean, it's just the yard of this house that's beyond this garage. And it's just a grassy yard, you know, and there's a tree line perimeter, you know. And I look away from the garage and I look at the grass and I can see that there's like a tree, like a black tree in the middle of the yard. I'm like, there's no tree there. Like, what? This is weird. And I'm just seeing this this weird tree thing kind of wobbling and it's black. It's like a black triangle in the middle of the grass. And it's, you know, five, six feet tall and it's like wobbling a little bit, almost like it's a, a a pine tree, a Christmas, like a perfect Christmas tree in the middle of the grass and it's black. Yeah. So I'm like, what, what the hell is that? And so I radio to the guys. I'm like, yo, I'm seeing something weird out here you know, so I explain what I'm seeing. And so I have a night vision camera and I put the night vision camera up. I can't see it. I take the night vision camera down. I can see it. I bring it back up. I can't see it. I'm, I, I'm unable to capture it on camera. So I let the guys know that. And then I let them know I, I'm going to walk towards it. Like I want to see what happens. Right. And they're like, Oh, be careful. Blah blah, blah. And it's, it's probably 50 yards away from me, something like that. So I start walking towards it. It's still there. It's not moving other than the weird wobbly thing. I I've walked about 20 yards and I start getting this overwhelming, ominous feeling come over me. And I'm like, oh, this thing doesn't want me to get near it. You know, I was it's just, you know, it's a weird feeling you
0: get. Right. It's telling you, don't come near me. Yeah, yeah. And but I was like, fuck that. I get <laughs> Got to see what this is. Mad and a lot of swearing. You got me still. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Um,
1: So, and I'm like, oh man, and I'm starting to get scared because this is really, it's really influencing my mind. You know, like, what's gonna happen when I get to it? You know, if it's this mad, (laughs) what's gonna happen? So I'm probably 20 yards away from it now. So I'm closing in on it, and it blinks out. I'm like, what? I I couldn't believe it. So I radio the guys and while I was walking towards them, I'm on the radio and I'm like, guys, I'm getting a really bad feeling. Like, I think it's mad at me. You know, I'm telling them that stuff. And then I radio and I'm like, it just, it just disappeared. It blinked out. I don't know what happened. I was like 20 yards away from it and it just disappeared. So I finally get to the area where I think it was standing. There's no tree. I don't know what it was. Um, But eventually the people that were cleansing the place said, you know, we think, We think the place is empty now. So I'm wondering if they forced that malevolent asshole spirit outside. And it was trying to stand its ground or something with me or whatever. And uh, I I approached it or I challenged it, if you will, and and got the fuck out of there. I
0: don't know. Right. No, but I mean, you won that battle because it left.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 But
0: were you able to check in to see? Yeah, later on to see, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think we were good. We were good for a good few years. And I was contacted by somebody else who is local to that area. Who does ghost investigations? And they said, "Hey, have you ever investigated? You know this blah blah blah." And it's this former funeral home. I'm like, uh, "Yeah." And so, you know, we exchanged, you know, investigation stories and stuff. And they go, "Well, whatever it is, is back or something else is happening." And, and they were kind of taking over at that point, you know. And I'm like, "Well, good luck to you." And um, it turns out this guy has really made a name for himself, and you can see him on YouTube now. It's called Ghosts of Carmel. C-A-R-M-E-L, Ghost yeah. of Carmel, Maine. And uh, he has tons of, like, he does a little video TV show, like a YouTube TV show right. of his investigations in Carmel. And he goes to that former funeral home quite a bit. And uh, so you can see footage of stuff. Yeah, I want to see
0: it's that. Perfect. I'm, I'm going to check yeah. that out. Ghost of Carmel. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Ghost of Carmel. All right, no more. Let's get into, uh, well, you know, I'm going to show you something real quick. i mm. <laughs> probably going to make you laugh. Okay. I don't know if you can see this. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: that's crazy, man. It, that's the actual. Is that the original? That's the original. Like that's the sleeve? That's yeah, the sleeve. Yeah. Oh, that's the sleeve. That's crazy. Did I send that to you?
0: Uh yeah, you did actually. Nice. Send me this. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: that's crazy, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Isn't
1: yeah. that artwork insane?
0: Oh, yeah. The, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, what about uh,
1: this? I'll make one. Oh, my God. You got everything, dude. That's crazy. Oh, shout out to DJ Bizkid.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about that?
1: Oh, the tools. That's me and Moshe. That's crazy, man.
0: And la- last but wow. not least, I don't know if yeah, you can yeah.
1: really see it, but. uh Sasquatch, The Great Dying. Yep. I thought I was going to quit work after that came out.
0: <laughs> you thought you were done? That was it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make it after that release.
0: One last that's crazy. Thing. I don't know if you could see it because it's a pretty big poster, but oh, shit. you signed it. I don't know. If you can I
1: see. signed it to you.
0: Yeah, you signed it. You see, that's crazy. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> I'm a fan. Dude. Come on, <laughs> awesome.
1: yeah, you are, man. That's really cool.
0: <laughs> I thought to take a break from this and, and, and show you some cool stuff, man, and show the fans, you know, out there, you know. Um, but in the end i want you to send me like all your links and everything so i can put it on the you know yeah, the yeah. description so everybody can find your material so let's get let's get into your book dude the first okay. one was ufos over maine yeah how did yeah, that come that. about i mean i know you went into the origin story of it but like, yeah how did that come yeah. about what what are your best stories in that in that book oh boy
1: um there's some personal stories in there. Anytime I put out a book, I always include some personal stuff with it. You know, people are witnesses are so willing to be raw and genuine and share their stuff with me that I want to, you know, be respectful and do that same thing back. You know, and share some of my stories. So, some of the stories I've already shared are in that book. But there's um, um one of my personal favorite stories in that book is I was in Augusta, Maine, Augusta is our state capital. Right. And uh, I had done a solo investigation of this former bakery turned into like this warehouse. And then there's living quarters above the warehouse. And, and I had done an investigation there uh, one night and it was summertime. And uh, I ended up leaving there at like two in the morning, something like that. And I had about an hour and a half ride home. So uh, the, the, Owner of the place, I'm outside. He's standing up by his door and he's like, So you're good and everything? He's like, I'm dying. I got to get to bed. And I'm like, Okay, man, I'm good. I'm almost done packing up my car. And he's like, All right, you have a good night. He shuts the door. All the lights go off. And I get done packing my vehicle. I close the trunk and look up. And right in front of me is this weird sparkler type ufo you know like a kid's sparkler and it's you know and it kind of runs down well this was this weird kind of shape-shifting silver sparkling thing and it was 20 feet above the street lights right and it's just floating it's silent and it's maybe like this big like basketball size maybe maybe a little bigger and it's just floating above me Silently, going down the street, and it finally floats behind a building. And I just gotten done putting all my gear away, so I don't—I don't know what's—you know—I don't have anything. I'm being human in that moment, and I'm like, "What the fuck was that?" Right,
0: right. You know,
1: and it—that's what it looked like. If somebody, you know, a kid with a sparkler going like that—that's what it looked like, you know. But it was silver. I'm like, what the fuck? I just had a ghost investigation. I just see a UFO. What the fuck is going on, man? This is crazy. So I get in the car and I'm blasting Grand Buffet. You remember those days? (laughs) And uh, so I'm listening to Grand Buffet and I'm going down the highway. I think I eventually turn it over to uh, Coast to Coast. And I'm listening to Coast to Coast. And I'm on this section of highway. I'm like between towns. And it's like 15 miles between towns, something like that. So all that's on the left and right of me are trees and there's no streetlights in this section. And so it's just all highway and it's pitch black, except my car headlights. It's two in the morning. Again, it's me. So there's not a lot of other cars on the road. I don't, I don't remember seeing one. And while I'm driving, I'm probably, um, how far is that? I'm probably 40 miles from where I was. To where I had this other encounter. So I'm driving, and from the treetops, I see now a red, sparkling, weird UFO go from one side of the road, and it does like this loop and then disappears beyond the trees on the other side of the road. And it was like it was in slow motion. I just watched this thing, and it was like a red version. Of the silver thing I saw earlier, almost like somebody lit an arrow on fire and shot it, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but it was that weird sparkling thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you just want to rewind it. You just want to see it one more time, you know, but I see it for however long that takes while you're driving. I don't know what the fuck it was.
0: Maybe it was mad at you. That's why it was red. Cause you would chase
1: <laughs> maybe dude, maybe, you know, there have been reports of people uh, experiencing white colored UFOs and, and having a good sense from them yeah. and also seeing red colored UFOs and having an ominous feeling from them, you know, and I didn't get either from either. I was just having like, what the fuck moments. Right. And I'm just exhausted from investigating all night See this one, and then I see another. Like the same night, it was crazy, man. It yeah, was they, crazy. That- there's
0: this thing uh, where where they have like um, what they call organic UFOs. Where that you know they instead of yeah. like solid craft per se, they'll see something that looks kind of like a bug or you know jellyfish like, like jellyfish it. yes like you know yeah, yeah. like that yeah, maybe that's what you saw maybe you saw something that was maybe an organic organic like, and yeah, nature, yeah you know? it
1: it was weird it was weird man and um uh, so that's from the ufos over Maine book right. but that to getting that published was was kind of a and. I guess to me it's an interesting story, but so it took like six, seven years to write, and I wasn't working on it constantly. Excuse me.
0: No, no, bad.
1: Um, um, so it took me like six, seven years to write, and my dad was like my first editor, which is badass, and
0: that's awesome. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> so I, uh, God, I'm sorry, I'm getting. Oh,
0: don't worry about here. it, man. No, you're good,
1: bro. You're good. So. <laughs> Uh, I had sent, well, first of all, I didn't know how to publish a book. You know, I didn't know anything about self-publishing. I didn't know how to get a book to publishers. So I've written the book and now I'm like, all right, now what the hell do I do? So I'm Googling that, how to publish a book, you know? And it said that, um, you know, some sites said you could send in um, manuscripts and things like that, but there are certain publishers that don't take unsolicited manuscripts. And of course I don't have an agent or anything. So I'm like, okay, I've got to go with publishers that take unsolicited material So I'm sitting there, you know, while I'm Googling and I look over at my library of books on the paranormal and I'm like, dummy, just look at some of those publishers, you know, look them up, you know, who put those books out, especially the main ones and see if there's something you can do there. So I go through a bunch of those books. I'm writing down all the publisher's name and then I'm going to their websites and seeing what their submission process is and almost all of them want you to submit like an outline and then some chapter samples. And I'm like, well, how do I do an outline? So I Google that, you know, and so I'm finding out how to do all this stuff like on the fly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I send everything. uh, I send about maybe 12 manuscripts, something like that to, you know, 12 different publishers And some of them I don't hear back from. Uh, Some of them I got rejection letters from. And, you know, that all kind of sucks. And I'm like, well, I really want to put this book out. There's got to be a way I can do it on my own.
0: And when you get these rejection um, letters, what what are they rejecting?
1: More so... Like one in particular that I can remember, like they're always nice. They're just form letters. You right. know what I mean? There's nothing ever scathing in them. There's nothing ever helpful either. Right. You know, like what I could do differently, but it's just like, you know, your material isn't fitting what we're putting out at this time sort of thing, you know, like an easy way to let you down without uh, making you feel bad, but also nothing constructive. So I got you. ultimately frustrating. Yeah. So I Google self publishing and I come across CreateSpace, which is Amazon's former book publishing, self-publishing thing. It's now ADP. Kindle Publishing. or Yeah, yeah KDP. KDP. And you can do that in print and on Kindle. And they're now having a beta program for hardcover, which I did for one of my latest books. But anyway, so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll just go through that. Now, there's still an approval process, at least at that time with CreateSpace, where the gods of CreateSpace have to go through your manuscript, basically looking for plagiarism, you know, because they don't want it to have their name associated with, with anything that's plagiarized. So it goes through this approval process. I submit everything and it passes the afru- approval process. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to order a proof copy to see what this book looks like in print. And a proof right. copy, you know, is a printed, just one printed copy of something that they send to you. So you can see what the layout looks like in print form. Uh, a lot of times now it's done digitally with uh, like a PDF proof, but back then they were doing print proofs. So I, you know, like you make your own cover and you, you design the layout and the size of the book and, you know, and all that stuff. And so I submitted all of that. And then I ordered a proof copy. A couple of weeks later, my roommate at the time calls me and says, Hey, you're, proof copy came in. I'm like, Oh sweet. So I came home from lunch. Cause I was excited to see what this looks like, you know, and I'm literally getting out. I've parked at my apartment building. I get out and I'm walking to the door of my apartment. Ding. I get an email. I look at my phone and it's an email from a publisher that says, Hey, we loved your manuscript. We'd like to put your book out.
0: Oh, right. After you just did your. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah." So I'm like, this is crazy. So I read through their email and it's kind of short and sweet. They're like, you know, email us back and we'll get you the specifics, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, what are the odds the same day that I get this proof copy in the mail? So I, I walk in and it's sitting right there rip it open. And I'm looking, at I still have a copy of it somewhere and I'm looking, I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Like this will look so awesome. You know, like right. I definitely got to do it this way. So I grabbed the book, hop back in my car. I'm like, I got to show people at work, man. This is right. really cool. And, you know, for the rest of the day, for the next couple of days, you know, my mind's just going crazy. Like, wait a minute, an actual publisher wants to put my book out. That would be a really cool thing and a cool experience to go through. Maybe that's what I should do instead of self-publishing, you know? So I talked to some close friends and they were essentially, they're like, you know, do what you think is best for you again, ultimately unhelpful, but it did help me weigh some pros and cons, which was okay. So I finally made the decision and it was only a few days. It was probably three or four days. I emailed the company back and I told them I was interested. So that started, a whole tidal wave of stuff for a published author: uh, contracts, conversations on the phone. Uh, you get assigned an editor. You get assigned a publicist, and these are all things that I am not used to. Even doing music for like twenty years, I never got to this point. Like. Because I had gotten signed, essentially. It's an independent label, if you will, <laughs> you know, being a small publishing house.
0: In a way it uh, correlates they, to the music industry.
1: Exactly. Yes. Uh, uh, a correlation that I was making in my own head. So it was a lot that I didn't know. I didn't understand. The contract was thick as fuck. And, <laughs> and it was crazy to, to, to read through. You know, it reads like Shakespeare, you know. Yeah. And so I uh, mailed the contract to my dad so he could check it out and be like, yo, can you look through this and make sure I'm not signing my life away and stuff? And so ultimately what he looked through, you know, he's no legal expert by any means, but his um, summation was, well, you're not going to get paid very much, but it is somebody that's going to pay to put your book out. They are going to distribute it wherever books are sold. And that's a pretty cool thing, especially if it's your first book, you know, so that's my opinion on it. So now I'm weighing what dad said, and I'm looking at other authors and, and, and reading about small publishing houses. So basically if you, if you're not like, uh, uh, one of these large publishers that puts out like Steve, you know, Penguin or something, the authors really don't make a whole lot, you know, I'm like, okay, so this seems pretty common. Um, I, I wonder if the pay is common. So I was looking at the pay and I'm like, uh, my pay scale is a little bit lower than some stuff I'm seeing online. But again, it's my first book. So I guess I kind of get that. Fuck it. I'm going to sign it. Right.
0: So so there, you can always go back to KDP. It's not like it's not. It exactly. You know?
1: Exactly. So, however, one part of the contract was I have a no compete clause. So I can't put anything out by myself uh, or through another publisher unless they get first right of refusal for the next five years. Oh. that seemed like a long time you know yeah. so um i still said fuck it and i signed it um, because i really wanted that experience with a publisher now that whole process while it was a whole lot of hard work because your manuscript even though for me it was like 10 drafts deep like this was the best of the best that i could produce on my own you then hand it over to their editors and you're getting tons of notes back you know um they they just want just it to be that, yeah Exactly. Like they want it to be in your voice. So they're not going to write anything for you, but, you know, they grammatically go over it. Um, They also make sure there's, you know, that I'm using quotations correctly, that I'm using citations correctly, and all that good stuff. But there are other things that they want you to take away or to add. Now, this particular publishing house, really nice, really great people. My my editor was amazing. Um, But my original draft was almost 300 pages. It was, you know, like, 40, 45 stories, something like that. And they really wanted to tone it down quite a bit. Um, this particular public publishing house puts out a lot of books on state related things, you know, like ghosts of Mississippi, UFOs over Texas, you know, things like that. So they right. liked that I had a regional book, UFOs Maine. but they're not looking for a tone. You know what I mean? They're they're looking for something that's easily digestible. It's not gonna cost them a fortune to to put together, you know. So, they ended up whittling it down to, God, I can't remember the page count, under 200 pages, you know, so. It,
0: it was and originally, how many pages was it? Almost 300. Okay. So, that's not bad. So, well,
1: to me it was, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to.
0: You don't want to let go of any, Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: So what i have since come to understand with publishing houses because i've been with some different ones now that uh, when you sign the contract it's it's their decision not yours you can voice your opinion but ultimately they're going to decide it even came down to them deciding which stories to exclude which is really frustrating process for me i would imagine i understood that i was legally obligated to let it happen but i was a little upset with myself that i signed that away you know but they were good to their word the book became came out eventually i think it was a year later finally it's such a long process um a year later the book finally came out but it was available everywhere you could buy it at walmart target like all that cool stuff and um um it it did you know fairly well for a small book you know uh, um anywhere between a thousand and five thousand copies is really good for uh, you know, a small publishing house. And I did in between there because I don't want to blast my numbers out there. But, uh, uh, but I did in between that. And I was really excited to get another book going. So after it came out, I had been working on an additional, like a second follow-up to, the, to, to UFOs over Maine. And uh, I submitted my outline to them I don't know, probably six months after the book actually came out, the first book, and they rejected it. And I was like, what? Okay. All right. So it's not this easy. Okay, I got you. And I'm like, okay, well, wh- what are you looking for? Because now I'm at least talking to people in the company and I can get some feedback or whatever. And, and they were essentially like, well, we just put this out you know, UFOs over Maine. we're not going to put a part two out immediately, you know, right. but I'm like, I got all these great stories. Like I want to put it out, you know? Right. And they're like, well, you can't, uh, can you come to us with another story? So I was trying to go over like different things. I'm like, well, I got a lot of ghost stories that I know. And they're like, well, we have a lot of ghost books out right now. That's not, you know, and and our table is filled up for, you know, October of this year. So we're not, you know, mm-hmm. so if you did want to put a ghost thing together, you might be looking you know, a year or two down the road. And I'm like, ah, I want to get something out there sooner, you know? So I was even pitching like these crazy Korean urban legend stories, you know, doing the elevator game or, you know, things like that and and telling those types of true accounts. And like, we've never even heard of that. I mean, I guess that's interesting, but write it if you want and then submit it. And I'm like, that's a whole lot of work to do. And then, you know, (laughs) it's to have them be so flippant about it?
0: that game connected to that? Girl in California, Eliza Lim, that went to the hotel. Supposedly,
1: I mean, no, but uh, that's one of the theories, you know. Um, so that that process wasn't going very well for me. Plus, I was and still am obsessed with UFO stories and abduction stories and all that good stuff. So I then pitched them a coloring book the coloring book would be kind of a, like a short summary, like a page long summary of like major encounters on one page. And then the next page would be coloring that encounter. So there was like Phoenix lights and there was some Billy Meyer stuff. And oh yeah, Billy. I, I can't remember all the, the other ones, but there were like 12, 15, 20 things that I had at the top of my head. And so with 20 encounters, You're looking at 40 pages for a coloring book because you got the summary on one side and then the thing to color. And I had actually hired um, uh, Tiffany from uh, Crayon Beats to do a lot of the vector imaging. Right. So like, I still have those files. They're really great. But uh, I had submitted some of my write-ups and some of the Uh artwork, and they're like, "Ah, we're not really interested in that either." You know, but Uh thanks for showing it to us. You know, so now I'm kind of like two years into this contract. And it's going to be five years before I can be free, you know, yeah, be free, if you will. So finally, after like, I think it was two and a half, maybe three years, I submitted UFOs over Remain, too, because I thought it had been long enough. I submitted to them and they rejected it again. We got too many UFO books out. And I go, OK, cool. Can I submit it to another publisher? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get first writer refusal. If we don't want it, you can do what the hell you want with it. I'm like, sweet. So I went back to my list of publishers. I had a little bit more knowledge in the game now. And uh, I knew I wanted to get my money a little bit more right if I could. Maybe not give up so many rights creatively and, and uh, you know, even with the cover and things like that. So, again, I submitted... Got some rejections, didn't hear back from some, but this one company called Llewellyn Publishing, which is a bigger publishing house than this other company, Schiffer, uh, but not as big as like a Penguin or anything. They're still a small company. They loved the manuscript and said, yes, we want to put it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I looked over their contract. It wasn't thick as fuck, which was cool, but there was still a lot of jargon and stuff. So I made sure to let my dad read it and I checked it out and the money was a little bit better, but not by much. And again, you sign over all creative control. And when I say creative control, that just means they have final approval on everything. I don't like that, but I knew it was a bigger publishing house. And um, they were looking for 60,000 words. And 60,000 words essentially translates to 300 pages. So I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, more up your alley. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. And they assigned me a like a national publicist, if you will, meaning they have connections in all types of media, like from Sirius satellite radio, you know, to the local people right in my hometown, you know what I mean, like they covered a gamut of stuff. It wasn't just regional, you know, so I thought that was really cool. So I signed with them go through that whole year long process. Again, you know, get assigned an editor, get assigned a publicist. There's even a galley editor that's different than your other editor, which is an interesting process. And a galley is looking at your book uh, as a PDF on what it would look like printed out kind of like a proof copy, but it's all PDF laid out anyway. And uh, so there was lots of back and forth, but they were really, really great to work with in regards to, um, my input on stories to exclude or include and you know blah 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 and it got to the point where they're like you know you've reached the word count we're loving this book is there anything else you want to include i'm like are you asking for more stories cool you know so i I, I, yeah so you know i went i'm like yeah there's lots of them and some of them um, that i excluded myself was just because i couldn't reach people to to talk to you know to do a full interview with so i could get all that detail that i want like Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, I was still kind of having that hard time. So I asked them if it was cool, if there were like four or five extra stories, but they might not be as needy, but they're really great encounters, you know? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So I was able to throw in like four or five extra stories or something like that. And it was, uh, it was a really great, but exhausting process. And uh, so they put out my book and, and I don't know. It was, um, it it felt like a more fulfilling experience than my first experience with, with putting a book out. And again, the money was a little bit better. Like the first check I got was quicker and a lot bigger. So that felt really good, you know? So I immediately start working on my next one and they didn't have as many restrictions in regards to you know, don't give us another UFO book, you know, it, it, until two or three years from now. It wasn't anything like that. They're just like, we get first writer refusal, send us whatever the hell you want. So um, I wrote this book called Granite Skies, and it's about so, a gentleman uh, yeah. Yeah. It's about a gentleman named Mike Stevens from New Hampshire. So my previous books before this were collections of stories, you know, from around my state, this granite skies book would kind of be like that Allagash abduction book where it's a a book about one person. Yeah. And he's had a lifetime of encounters and uh, we were acquaintances and I had gone down to this center that they would use for speakers and they would use for uh, um, a group, group settings for like psychic mediums would get together and discuss things. And he also had a UFO support group, like an abduction support group. And that would all happen there. And I would go down and give presentations sometimes. And, um, so I started to get to know him a little bit, but people would come up to me and be like, have you heard like, what's been going on with Mike? You know, I'm like, no. And so some, I I would get a little story here from someone. I'd get a little story there from someone and they're like, yeah, he's been having encounters like his whole life and you should really talk to him about it. So I go to the center one day and he's holding this tablet and he's like, you got to see this picture. And it's a picture of this cabin that I go to in New Hampshire. And there's a beam of light coming down from the sky and they caught it on trail cam. He's like, you got to see it. So I look at it and it's a fascinating picture and it's, it's, it's in the print version of the book, but that's what it is. You see the cabin in the background and it's a nighttime shot and there's this beam of light coming down from nowhere you know it's it's really interesting and and, but that kind of opened the door for me to kind of talk to him about his experiences and i'm like i hear you've had a lot of stuff happen to you and he's like yeah it's been happening my whole life actually since i was like three or four years old and i was like i've had an encounter you know since like three or four years old like it's you know in my head i'm like maybe we're kind of kindred spirits he's really nice guy easy to talk to soft-spoken you know so He shared a couple of stories, but I was out Ubering one night and I was parked at a Burger King parking lot. And we're talking on Facebook messenger. And and I was like, are are you available for a phone call? It's like, let's talk. I want to hear these stories, you know? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I shut off my Uber thing and we get on the phone with each other. And I end up sitting in that parking lot for like two hours. And he's telling me all these crazy encounters that have happened to him since childhood up until that very day. You know, like he has encounters all the time. And uh, I was like, would you be interested in me writing your story, you know? And he was interested, but there were some things about his story that maybe he wasn't so comfortable sharing. So he's like, well, let's talk more about it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Let's talk more about it. Plus I'm always in the middle of like three projects. I'm like, I don't even know if I can get to it this year, you know, like I was working on a documentary at the time. And,
0: Which is otherworldly uh, award, right? Uh,
1: that's right. That's right. So, uh, I was like, yeah, let's revisit it. Once I have more time, blah, 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 So time goes by, we finally revisit it. I invite him up to Maine. I'm staying at a hotel in Southern Maine cause he's in New Hampshire and I didn't want to have to have him drive four hours and nor did I want to drive four hours. So we each drove two and we met in Southern Maine and, uh, he came to my hotel room and we sat down and had a four hour conversation where I interviewed him and he was, he gave me more of the whole scope of his encounters. Fast forward six months, like I took all of the, like I record everything. I also take notes, but I record everything on audio. So I transcribed a lot of it. I was taking a lot of notes from a lot of it over the course of a few months. And when I'd have some questions, I'd either call him or Facebook message him or something like that to clear something up or just ask some follow-up questions. But then I wanted to meet again. So we met down at his office in New Hampshire, uh, probably six months later basically so i could interview him again and you know it's a technique just to make sure kind of everything sounds the same is genuine and maybe there's more details that i can get
0: you know yeah cuz you got to make sure you're getting legit story you know yeah
1: yeah, And I like, it's not a requirement for me to believe him, right. but if I can feel like he's being genuine, which I thought he was the first time too, you know, but if I can really get that genuine feeling from him, then that's going to translate on the page, you know, right. and, and come across as a genuine account. Cause that's what I want, regardless of my belief of the situation.
0: But at the same time, you don't want it to turn out like later on, you find out it's a hoax. Cause then it just right. destroys everything that you yeah. work for, you know, you don't want that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, so we met again and this interview, even though he had shared some tough information in the first one, he really got into the details. Cause I was like, I told him the kind, the type of book I wanted to write, you know, where I just wanted as genuine and honest as, as possible. And, and he's like, all right, um, here are some other things tangentially related to these encounters essentially i've suffered ptsd from these encounters i suffer from anxiety and depression from these encounters my life crumbled at one point from these encounters i decided to end my life because of these encounters and i'd like to share that in the book and i'm like holy fuck all right um I will handle that as sensitively and as caring as possible. And I think that's amazing because people do suffer trauma with these encounters. I have suffered trauma not from these types of encounters, but the trauma is still the same. We share similar traumas. His catalyst was extraterrestrial. Mine was a shitty upbringing and uh, a bunch of other shit we don't have to get into right now. Right.
0: Mine uh, mine was both.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So... Uh, I, I could really relate to him on that level. And it's really important to normalize the conversation around mental health. So it's easier to talk about somebody who's struggling. Hopefully, we're, we're normalizing it to the point where somebody who doesn't share will start sharing, you know, and, and maybe we can save a life, you know. And, yeah. and that's a big deal to us. I currently, like to this day, struggle with suicidal ideation, you know, and, and that's a real thing for a lot of people. And uh, so it, it got to the point where Mike, I, I would send uh, samples of the writings that I was working on in the moment to Mike to make sure he was comfortable with everything that I was writing about him. And we were in lockstep the whole way. Like I wouldn't make a decision without his approval, you know, and uh, and he thought that was really nice. And, and it's not something that I have to do, you know, and, and but I couldn't do it any other way. This was his story. And it's a sensitive story and it's a crazy story. And I needed to make sure that he was 100% on board with everything that I was doing. And uh, so when he finally decided to tell me the suicide story, that was, that was really rough. That was, that was heavy and we cried. And the way he ultimately decided to not kill himself was because of another death that occurred so like tragedy with a life-saving moment like it's uh it was an incredible thing to for him to be comfortable sharing
0: right and it's weird how the universe works you know what i mean like yeah you know, yep like, uh, uncanny yep. things like that that happen you know
1: yeah yeah and 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 he it was planned. He knew where it was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do before it, you know, to like, enjoy things for like one last time, if you will, you know, and, um, it was late one night and he was scrolling through Facebook and he read a post about a friend of his dying. And that changed everything going forward, you know? So now he's at the point where, He's not suicidal, which is great. Although he still thinks about it sometimes because we're all normal and it's a normal thing that people do think about. He still struggles with anxiety and depression. However, there is hope where there wasn't before, and that's amazing. And through him, I have more hope than I've ever had before, you know. Um And that's an an amazing thing. And I think I said before about people being so raw and genuine with me that I like to be raw and genuine myself. I did the same with this book. So the Granite Skies book, it's Mike's story on one layer. The other layer is Mike's mental health and discussing that very genuinely and very honest and raw. And then there's a third layer that discusses my own mental health and some of my own thoughts in regards to what I was thinking, what I was doing when Mike was telling me his story, you know. So there is a third smaller layer of my own anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation and talking about therapists and you know, some some dark thoughts that I don't, you know, normally share, but I'm like, no, this. This is what it means to normalize. So if he's going to share, I'm going to share,
0: you know, and, and uh, it's only right.
1: yeah, yeah. And he agreed, which is great. And uh, and this book turned into something that neither of us expected it to, you know, we, we thought we had a pretty good UFO book. And when I say UFO book, I don't know how many people out there have read. Sometimes some of them read like textbooks and they're fucking slogged to get through. Some of them do read uh, pretty well and they're kind of scary and kind of fun, but there's not a whole lot of them out there that talk about the aftermath or how people struggle or how you're supposed to live your fucking life. Right. By also having this life altering thing happen, you still got to be a dad. You still got to go to work. You still, you know, have to drive the car or get coffee or whatever, but you're an experiencer that whole time,
0: you know? A lot of these books leave out the human element.
1: Exactly. Not all, but they're, you know, they're few and far between. And this is what this book turned into. And Mike and I have described on podcasts that we've done together that it was almost like going to war together. Like we were bonded, you know. And that's not to dismiss what it's like being in war, but just to convey the impact that the two of us had on one another by sharing such sensitive information, you know. And uh, so. When I say Mike and I were in lockstep, that was with everything. That was with submitting it to the publisher and then what they said back to me and what we ultimately decided. So I submitted uh, some chapter samples to my current publisher, Llewellyn, current publisher at the time. And they said, we love it. Yeah, let's put it out. And they sent me what's called a memo offer. And a memo offer is really just a small memo and it outlines two or three things, like what your money's like and a couple other things. And I'm like, ooh, I don't like this. (laughs) You know, like my last book, it kind of did all right. You know, like, uh, you know, there's, you you can't offer a little bit more,
0: you know? You're expected uh, to go forward. Right, right,
1: right. And and it's not looking like that. Great. I, you know, I've, I've had jobs my whole life. So I'm kind of thinking it from that perspective where you do a good job and after a little while you get a raise and it doesn't look work like that with books. You know what I mean? You got a bestselling author. All right. Then you start getting some money. You know what I mean? They don't just offer more money. It's, it's whatever the, the industry standard is. That's what they offer And they're not authorized to give you anything else. Now, if you sell over 10,000, they can work with the money there a little bit to give you a little bit more over 10,000 in sales. So that's actually what they countered with. And I'm like, I ain't selling no 10,000 fucking copies. Like it might as well not even happen, you know? So I uh, talked to Mike and, and I was like, I don't feel right about the money, but your story is important. So if you... Want me to go with this offer? I'll do it. And he came back with, "Listen, man, you've done the hard work here. <laughs> like, get your money. If, if, if you know, because this is what I do full time. It's not like I like I, I, I stopped working so I can do this stuff full time. Right. So I, I do have to make money. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not talking about a lot of money, but I got to eat and live and you know, it's drive around and <laughs> right. So I was like, okay. So that's when I you know, did my counter offer to Llewellyn and um, they denied it. And I'm like, okay, well, at the very least we'll keep the same money, but at least give me creative control. I have creative control over the title, the subtitle and the cover. I'm cool with the editor and the editor is only going to add really good things to your book because they want it to sound really good. Right. And make I'm it not gonna, Yeah. yeah. And I I will never say I'm smart enough to, you know, outdo like a professional editor. So I was definitely cool with the editing part, but I want final approval on a cover title and subtitle. And they said, no, I'm like, you're not willing to budge on money nor cover title and subtitle. And they're like, no, we have ultimate approval. Well, I have an artist friend that I like to hire to make really badass covers. I've used them a couple of times and we had come up with a title And the cover, he did a mock-up and Mike and I immediately in love with it. We didn't want to, we didn't want to sacrifice that. That's what we wanted for the cover. So I went back to Mike and I was like, well, they said, no, they, they want creative control over everything. Plus they won't budge on the money. And I go, that's not my favorite thing, man. We love that cover. We love that title. He's like, I agree with you. Let's walk away. I'm like, are you sure you want to walk away? I'm still under contract. And since I'm still under contract, that means the book might not be able to come out for a couple of years, maybe three years, you know, uh, until I'm out of contract. And he's like, it's going to come out when it's supposed to
0: come out. Yep. I'm like, all right. That's it. All That's right. Just like, yeah. I said, when it's time. It's time. It's
1: time. Yeah. So I went back to them and I said, no. I don't think they're used to hearing no very often (laughs) and not that I'm anything special or anything, but I, I think they're like, Oh, you know, people want to put out a book and that's kind of like a cool thing for regular people and blah, blah. I'm like, I do this fucking full time. Like, yeah. I, I need something to go my way. If it's not money, at least give me some creative control. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I know what looks good and and, and I know how I want my own thing to be fucking titled. You know,
0: you're an artist, man. Right, right. And at your, at your core, you're an artist at your core.
1: Absolutely. Uh, anyway, so they tried a couple of other things to get me to stay. They really weren't much of anything, but I appreciated their hands were tied, you know. And and uh, so ultimately, I passed. And I said, "Is there any way that I can put this out with somebody else? Because I'm still under contract for two years." And they got back to me. I think it was 24 hours later. They got back to me and said, "We give you our full blessing." to go put the book out someplace else. We'll let you out of your contract. I'm like, what? Wow. I couldn't believe that they were going to allow us to do that. So I immediately like called Mike, let him know the good news. I'm like, well, I I said no, but they let me out of the contract. We can put the book out ourselves if we want. And he's like, holy fuck, really? So I started the whole process with KDP Uh, to try to get the book out as as soon as possible so i think that was another three four five month process to get everything where we wanted to get it because now since i said no i didn't have their fancy editors i didn't have
0: that yeah
1: yeah so this was doing everything myself and i hadn't done that in the book world yet but i've been doing that for 20 years in the music world you know so I, i know how to do diy right So we've got a good friend who's also a writer and asked her if I could pay her to edit the book. And she said, you know, you have me on your podcast or something. We'll call it good. I'm like, okay. So yeah. So now I got an editor and then I hired that dude to do the, uh, the cover and, uh, and it all came together. And we finally put it out in January, of 2021, I believe. And, um, we put it out during the pandemic, which was ridiculous. No, it wasn't January of 2021. It was, uh, August of 2020. Sorry. And, uh, um, so putting it out during the pandemic seemed like a really crazy idea, but Mike and I, we were just, we're like, this is what's supposed to be happening right now. Like, this is all part of the process and there's a crazy thing going on in the world right now but that that's the perfect time to put art it out is, there
0: actually yeah because during that time the pandemic you know uh we're all supposed to stay home and, and not go out but people right. were seeing a lot more ufos during that time yeah. so yeah. I think it was a perfect time for you to put something like that out
1: yeah yeah so we did we did it our way And doing it our way was more financially rewarding because uh, um, Amazon pays a lot better. Now, Mm -hmm. since using Amazon and going through that process and being where I'm at in life right now, I'm like, I should have used a local publisher, you know, uh, like a local print shop, I mean, you know, to put the book together that costs a lot of money. It costs for the amount of pages and the kind of size that we were doing. We're looking at about six fifty-seven dollars per book to manufacture.
0: To manufacture. Yeah. That's a lot.
1: That's a lot of money. Yeah. Now I want to sell them for $12.99, $14.99, something like that. And so that's a lot of money to put up uh, up front to get, I don't know, a hundred copies or something like that just to get started with. So that's a lot of money for that not to mention we have to ship everything out so uh shipping has gone up you know during the pandemic and it was already up in august so it was costing uh, about 309 per book to ship and that was just the media mail rate so that's 10 so now, bucks yeah so essentially we're at 10 bucks per book right. that's a lot again i need to live you know what i mean i'm like So that, you know, we made the decision to go through Amazon because through Amazon, it was $3 per book and they ship it out, you know, so there was no cost on my end. And then I can put the price point wherever I want. They keep their $3. I get the rest of the money. You know what I mean? So that's a lot better process, especially being a first time self publisher, you know. So we went that way. However, going forward, I am trying to wean myself off of Amazon so I can use local people for manufacturing, uh, you know, local editors, like all that good stuff. And um, so my follow-up book to Granite Skies, which it wasn't a follow-up, it was just my next book, was a fictional horror book. And uh, instead of going through Amazon for the publishing and distribution. I just went through them for printing and I distributed it myself. So that was part of the weaning process. Um, so to manufacture it again was right around $3 per book, but I was printing everything and sending it out myself to people. They like, they, you can't buy it on Amazon. They buy it through my store, you know? So I'm hoping the next book I do is completely free of Amazon and I use a local manufacturer and, and, and all that good stuff and sell it through my site. Kind of a long-winded process, but it's nice to talk about. I don't have a lot of people to talk to it about. So oh, it's cool. cool. I mean,
0: it's the <laughs> process and it's, and it's a learning experience, you know? Um, so before I wrap this up, I can't yeah. close this out without you talking about uh, otherworldly amour and sure. how that started and just you know i want people to watch it so i don't want you to give too much away but just you know brief synopsis of what it's about like how did you get started you know and all that stuff
1: sure um so i had done a previous documentary called uh, abducted new england and um we were doing an open house actually that same center that mike stevens the guy wrote the book about um We were doing a townhouse there where we were trying to recruit people to be in this abducted New England documentary, which is essentially about people sharing their weird UFO stories. But instead of in a book, it's in a documentary. So we had this open house. We interviewed a bunch of people. It was really cool. And um, before that open house, we were also putting out things on Facebook for people to message us and, you know, tell us your stories and all that stuff. And I'd gotten a message from this woman named Shauna and she was telling me about all these encounters her and her husband have had and there's some stuff with missing time there's some stuff with possible abductions there's some stuff with possible entities and i'm like wow this is pretty crazy they ultimately you know didn't come to the open house it's not something they were interviewed for for the first documentary so you know, they weren't included, but I had her information and she had some crazy stories. So probably five, six months later, I followed up with her personally. And I was like, Hey, I'd like to hear more about your stories. So she shared some more of her stories. And again, they were continuing to be pretty fascinating. And I was like, would you mind if I kind of, if I came to your house and interviewed you and your husband about, you know, all the encounters you had and sure. So we set up a time I go down probably two weeks later. And, uh we all end up having like a four hour conversation and uh, like two hours into it, you know, they're telling me all this crazy stuff that happens two hours into it. they go, Oh, did we, did we talk about the photos and videos that we have? I'm like, what? You have evidence of what, of all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, Get it out. Let's look at it. You know? So he pulls out the laptop and there's hundreds of photos, you know, 50, 60 videos of all these crazy lights in the sky and weird shapes in the sky and EVPs of really weird things. I'm like, oh my God. So, you know, they're showing me all this stuff. Another two hours go by. And towards the end of it, I was like, guys, your story is incredible for a book, but it would be amazing for a documentary, would you guys be interested in that? Mm-hmm. And they kind of hummed and hawed about it. And like, oh, let's think about it. We don't know if we want all that stuff out there. So they thought about it. We talked more in the days that followed and they ultimately agreed. And I wanted to make sure that they were along with every part of the process. So I'd get done, uh, editing some stuff and send it to them to make sure they were cool with it. Um, the, the shoot was easy. It took one day, you know, filmed a bunch of interviews and then, uh, filmed a bunch of B-roll, but then it took me like nine months to put it all together and edit it together to be like exactly, you know, what I wanted
0: it to be. Editing process is the hardest.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Super meticulous. I love it, but super meticulous. And it can be expensive as well, you know, to do certain things. And I was on a shoestring budget. So I wasn't able to do a whole lot. Um, uh, I wanted to, there were more things I wanted to do, like graphically, you know, with effects and things like that, that I wasn't able to do. But finally ended up editing the documentary getting it done and they were very happy with it and uh essentially it's their story they're a couple from southern maine who have been having otherworldly encounters separately as children now together as a couple, they've continued to have these crazy encounters together. And a lot of them are extraterrestrial. Some of them are more haunting uh, in ways, but the first part of the documentary is them sharing stories. The second part of the documentary is all of the evidence to go along with a lot of these stories. It's about 41 minutes long and it's available on Amazon prime.
0: I saw that. I saw that today. Um, Um, Do they have anything, any pictures of like entities or is it just no,
1: no pictures of, uh, of entities, unfortunately, but they did report that they have this little weird, they describe it as like a sprite kind of creature that that runs around their house sometimes inside the house outside the house josh was accosted by it one night like he heard it running up the driveway really quickly at him and then the next thing he knew he's laying down on the lawn and he's looking up and he sees a ufo hovering over the house shauna was outside with him but now she's gone he's like where where the hell did she go so he kind of like snaps out of whatever trance he was in and he runs inside and he's like calling out her name and she's nowhere to be found. So he calls her and she picks up the phone and she's laughing (laughs) and like hangs up and he's like, what the fuck's going on? So he calls her again. He's like, where are you? Tell me where you are. And she's like, I'm outside and hangs up again. He's like, what the fuck? So he runs through the house, opens the sliding glass door, goes outside to the wooded, to the backyard. And then the woods area, he's not seeing her in the backyard anywhere. So he's calling out for her. He's now running through the woods. Now he's like, Sean, Sean, where are you? And he keeps running and he runs past her. He sees her, you know, out of the corner of his eyes as he's running past her and she's sitting down with her knees up to her chest leaning against a tree and she's kind of like dazed and laughing and he's like what the fuck happened where how did you get here he's like you you were at the front door all of a sudden i'm on the grass looking at a ufo and you're 80 yards into the woods like how did you get here she's like i don't know (laughs) he and he takes her back inside and to this day she has no idea how she got out there why she was acting that way she finally kind of snapped out of it she's like I just remember being at the front door and then I was in the woods, you know? And that's just one of these crazy stories that's in this documentary.
0: That's crazy. So it's available on Amazon Prime?
1: Yeah, and on DVD, go to my store. The link will be below. So you yep. can check that out if you well, want. And what about
0: your TV. previous documentary?
1: Uh, previous documentary? Now, Amazon Amazon are a bunch of bitches. So
0: um,
1: <laughs> they, uh, they sent an email to all filmmakers who are in through their video process. That they are taking away uh, non-fiction documentary document uh, non-fiction documentaries that are under uh, feature-length uh, um, time. Right. They're What's... they're pulling them off of Amazon. So you really essentially can't have anything that's under an hour unless it's performing well. And so you're not grandfathered into anything. So if I'm to make a new documentary, it's got to be at least over an hour, and. If what is what I have on Amazon Prime right now dips in viewership, then they'll pull it. So they pulled Abducted New England. They pulled that probably six, nine months ago or something. But Otherworldly and More is still on there, which is amazing. It used to be free with Prime, uh, which is awesome, meaning you didn't have to rent it if you had Prime. And it's gotten like 300,000 views or something, which... Blows my mind, but they pay like two cents per viewing or something. So it's definitely not, not a moneymaker. You know what I
0: mean? I'm going uh, to be renting that probably tomorrow. Cool. Cool. Be my, uh, my lunch, you know, after lunch, I'll, I'll watch it with the kids. <laughs>
1: I, I appreciate it, man. Cause what's, what's cool about if somebody rents it, I get like most of it. I think it's, I get like 80% of it or something, but the free on prime with just free views. It's two cents a view, which is crazy. But anyway, so that's on prime for now if you know i and they don't even tell you what their standard is
0: right. you know they,
1: they can just pull it
0: so um, when did you do um when did you do your first one your first doctor when was that released
1: 2000 2018 i think
0: 2018 so yeah. i'm thinking if, if if they're worried about the time part of it maybe you can do an anniversary edition and add extra
1: oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: then just put it just over an hour to where they want it that way it's right, right. you know
1: yeah that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea at all. Hmm.
0: Well, okay. So we're going to wrap this up, dude. Um, what I need to know is what's in the future for Nomar Slavic, both artistically and in the paranormal. What are we going <laughs> to see from you, dude? Uh,
1: well, those are fully melded together okay. at this point in my life. So uh, more content creation, you know, um, I, I have three or four book projects that I want to work on. Uh, I also have my own podcast. It's uh, on five season five right now. So that's something I work on every year. What's interesting about that or what's different about it is it's not like a weekly, a weekly podcast that I do. It's uh, a a podcast where I I release a full season all at once, like Netflix style, you know, So towards the end of every year, I start researching, writing, and then recording and editing my podcast. I do anywhere from 10 to 14 episodes, January of the next year, I drop the season and they all come out at once and you can binge them or, you know, listen to how- however you want to listen to them. Right. Um, so that's, you know, I'm still going strong on that, which is cool, but writing more books. I do want to do a new documentary I already have a couple of projects in mind, but that shit's really expensive. So if the money's right, I'll do them. If not, then I can't, you know, audio wise, uh, I produce a lot of the music that's in the background of my documentaries. Um, also with books that I put out, I do like to do an audio companion with it. And I have, I did that with uh, UFOs over Maine and I did that with granite skies. So there's a cassette for granite skies that people can get. And it's like songs inspired by the book, you know, stuff that's- like that. Um, yeah. So uh, always working on music, always working on something creative. and, um, you know, if I like something enough, hopefully i'll I'll put it out there. But yeah, more books, more <laughs> books is that's my big thing. That's a, that's my bread and butter. Right. and and b, I I mean, when i'm in the midst of writing a book it's the only thing i can think about it's the only thing i want to work on everything else is dumb (laughs) you know it's it's you just read in it you know and i can't stop until it's done you know so it's uh, working on it every day it's certainly come a long way from ufos over Maine, where i'm like i'll work on it okay i'll do a little you know and now it's this laser focus
0: you know right well you found your niche and your passion you know what i mean yeah Uh, and you're doing a great job you know
1: and i'd also like to say i'm a big dumb idiot and if i can write a book then anybody who's watching y'all can write a book too so if you want to please do it if you want any help hit me up.
0: right you're not an idiot you're not an idiot bro i don't i don't i don't i don't have idiots on my show man so you're not (laughs) a fair enough man thank you you. well thank you man i really appreciate you um i've known you for a long time you know often had conversations throughout the years but uh yeah but I mean, I was taken back when I when I found out that you went that route to the paranormal, you know, investigation route. But uh, yeah, but thanks for everything, dude. And um, yeah, I'm going to put the you know, if you could send me the information of where you want Absolutely. to go to. I'll put that in the description below. And uh, you have a great night, my man. All right. Yeah, you too. Thank you All so right. much yeah. for
1: thinking of me, having me on. And yeah, man. And, and you're one of the first persons that would review my CDs, my albums, honestly, and would hear it for what it was flaws and all. And I really appreciate it. So thank you.
0: Yeah. No worries, man. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't deal with whackness, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, homie.
0: Have a good night, my man. You too. See Yeah. All right, dude. I think that's yeah. that's the, all right, I stopped the recording. So we should be good. Let me see. Did it stop the recording? Yeah. Let me stop the recording.